what is going on, everybody? Welcome back to the Jake Podcast. It is uh, Wednesday, May 20th. Jeez, we're not even in mid-May anymore. We're in late May. Uh, this month has flown by. Uh, no thanks to COVID-19 and the pandemic, but good times are ahead. You know, don't don't be freaking out too much. I know states are starting to open back up, and while people are freaking out whether they think, A, you don't need to wear a mask, or B, you're being, you know, ridiculous and you should be wearing a mask, you're getting a lot of people from each side I'm trying to weather the storm on both. I'm trying to do my part and just, you know, abide by the rules. But also, I want to get back out there. Uh, It's Memorial Day weekend coming up. We got, you know, this will be released for Thursday ahead of Memorial Day weekend. I'm in a beer pong tournament starting tomorrow that I'm super excited about. Really want to make it past, like, the first weekend, kind of like the NCAA tournament. Um, It's 128 teams. So uh, if, if you get a chance... Check it out. Uh, it's going to be on Zoom, and the Instagram page for it is Virtual Beer Pong Tournament. It's going to be a lot of fun. It's 10 bucks a person, uh, or I, I guess a team, and uh, hey, you know what? We'll see. I don't expect to win, but if you make it to the Sweet 16, you get your money back and then some. So we'll see. Uh, we'll see how it goes, but it should be a lot of fun. It's 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 good to do different things while you're, you know, kind of cooped up and and now that the weather is turning, it's it's nice to actually have plans and stuff. Other than that, not a lot going on. Uh last time we spoke, it was the first episode of the season and I said I was going to take a couple weeks off. Uh we did the NFL draft. Uh it was the night leading into it. It was super fun. Another good draft. I thought um you know, considering all the events that they had to cancel, considering all the changes they had to make, and uh, you know, due to the pandemic, I thought it actually went off really well. They, you know, the they had the commissioner basically like reading off picks from his like you know cigar and brown liquor den. Um, and as the nights went on, he got more and more comfortable making the picks, lounging in his seats. Um, however, it, it did go off pretty well, and we're gonna go into it. We're gonna uh, you know grade all of the drafts. I'm gonna uh, jump in team by team. And kind of give you my thought process on them and name my three winners and three losers. I might go to up to five because I have a lot of thoughts on these. Uh, but before we get to that, I do want to you know go over the other sports going on. Uh, baseball, you know, we should be, I, I think, like 60 games in soon. It's it's a real bummer because, uh, you know, I, I, I see in a lot of simulations the Indians would be in first place. And that sucks because I do think the Indians have a good team this year. I'd like to see them play. But it does sound like we're going to make it back to baseball uh, soon. The NBA, it seems like, we're also going to get back to that in possibly July. So even if it's just the playoffs and they do a draft and and instead of a lottery, they just do based on record, which would be great because uh, the way the season ended for the Cavs, they really lucked out with like the um, winning percentage. So that I think they get the number two odds or number two pick if there was no lottery. But uh, I would like to see an NBA playoffs. I'd like to see an NHL playoffs. I know, you know, people want fans to be there, but I really just, we just want sports back. We just want to have these back. And even though it would be a huge letdown because I, I think more than most people, I really do appreciate a good crowd, a good home crowd, a, um, you know, like the, the, the way the crowd sounds on a, and on a playoff goal in the Stanley cup playoffs, that's like it's wild. I don't even have to be into either of the teams that are playing. I just like to watch and and enjoy that. And then with the NBA playoffs, you know, the 
I'm less into that, but at the same time, you know, when the Cavs aren't in it, I find it more enjoyable because I'm less stressed about watching them. So, you know, I mean, as much as I do want to see the Cavs in the playoffs every year and compete for a championship like they did for four straight seasons, winning the East every year, um, you know, th- this is still like I still miss it when they're not in it, too. So uh, but I did get the draft. Going to talk about that in a little bit. And the way that the country is opening back up, I do think the NFL season will go off on time. It's whether or not, you know, people uh, are in the crowd for it. Uh, so that'll be really interesting to see how these home crowds work. The, the schedules dropped. The Browns' new uniforms dropped. Uh, lots of news to get to with, uh, with the Cleveland Browns. So, uh, you know, hope everyone's doing well out there. Hope everyone's enjoying uh, themselves and kind of just getting used to the quarantine and possibly getting over it. And, and they're not going to, you know, freak out or kill themselves over anything because it's, you know, it's a tough time. We're all dealing with it. But, um, yeah. The Browns' new uniforms leaked. Uh, I think we talked about them like two episodes ago, uh, but they're official. They're out there. I love them. I think they're great. They're old. They're classic. Um, But the schedule's dropped, and the Browns start the season uh, at Baltimore. Now, the way that, you know, I look at that, you can look at it two different ways, right? You can say, okay, um, they're starting the season. You know, the Browns always... um, they always start the season 0-1. So to get a winnable game and put it in the first week of the season and lose it would really suck. However, um, I kind of look at it, at it as the Browns are taking one of their hardest games of the season at Baltimore. You know, Arguably the hardest game of their season. And instead of playing it when the teams are in midseason form ready to roll, they're playing it early in the year. Remember, the Browns played at Baltimore in September last year. And rolled the Ravens. Played their best game of the season. Um, I don't even think it's arguable. I think it was obviously their best game of the season. Put up a 40-burger. Beat them by, uh, I think, 15. And it, was, uh, it wasn't even that close. Like, it was, it, it was, you know, they beat them by a good amount. Because if it wasn't for a last-second touchdown by Willie Sneed, they would have won by three touchdowns. So, you know, you could you can say they start the season at Baltimore and like, oh, wow, that's an automatic loss. It's like, well, we always assume the season's starting 0-1. At least it's it would be one of the tougher games. And who knows, if they win that game, that's a huge leg up on the rest of the season. Then they go, uh, their first home game is actually the, th- the following Thursday where they host Cincinnati. It'll be Joe Burrow's first trip to the Browns. Thursday Night Football, Baker Burrow, two straight uh, AFC North games to open up the season. So, you know, while it's unwise to get too into it right away, uh, you do look at that and say, hey, listen, that would be a really tough 0-2 to start the season with two losses in the AFC North. I mean, you, I don't want to say you can call it right there, but you really don't want to be starting the season 0-2 in the division. So uh, that would be a very tough start. But uh, I, I think, you know, I still think they're a better team than the Bengals. I think early in the season they might be able to catch the Ravens off guard. So that looks like a one and one start right there. But who knows? Who knows what could happen? Next week, uh, they have a 10-day break before they uh, stay home and take on the Redskins. Um, that's a game that typically I might be going to. Uh, usually we go to the first home game, but it being on a Thursday night, I don't see that happening. So the home opener might not happen. But... I will be in town that weekend for my cousin Caitlin's wedding, 
which is going to be on Friday the 25th. So uh, we'll see what we end up doing. Maybe, uh, you know, make like a really long weekend out of it, get the Browns game in on Sunday. Not really sure what the plans are just yet, but uh, we'll we'll see going forward. Uh, that would be good, though. It would be nice to, you know, get a nice long break before a game, a home game, and and get a win if they uh, could somehow start the season on a roll like that. That would be nice. Usually you like to have those long breaks before the tough teams, but you know that never, never really helps the Browns out. So let's at least get it in for a game that we think we could win. So uh, the following week they go to Dallas. That seems to be a tough one. And uh, at this point, if they're 2-2 two and two after at Baltimore and Dallas and home versus Cincinnati and Washington, I think that's fine. I think that's what people are expecting. Um, okay, so into the meat of the schedule, we got uh, at or they come back home on the October 11th. They face Indianapolis. That's another tough one. But hopefully after a um, hopefully after a tough game at Dallas, they could rebound and uh, get a win against Indianapolis. I think between those two games, you know, those are two teams that are similar tier to where the Browns are. I think you know Dallas has been making the playoffs the last few years, but. Um, or at least last couple seasons they've been in and out of the playoffs, but um, I still think they're the talent-wise the same tier as Cleveland, same as Indianapolis. So um, that should be an interesting part of their schedule because then they go right after that to Pittsburgh. And uh, yeah, I mean, look, the Browns, they can't win at Pittsburgh. It feels like a house of horrors there for the last 20 years. Um, this will be you know Miles Garrett's first game at Pittsburgh since uh, the incident. And uh, there will be no love lost. There will be lots of booing. This will be a crucial game, especially if uh, the AFC North is tight and, you know, early in the season when all teams are still alive. You know, it's not late in the season when teams have packed it in like we've seen from the Browns in years past. So uh, that's week six. The Browns uh, go to Pittsburgh. And, uh, yeah, I mean, that'll be a big one. So and then right after that, they go right to Cincinnati. Um I you know if if they're 3 and 3 at this point hope I mean it'd be great if they could make it to 4 and 2 but you know I think that's asking for a lot but um at Cincinnati they got to be able to sweep the Bengals if they want to be a playoff team they need to go 4 and 2 in the division they need to go like 3 and 1 against the NFC East and that puts them at 7 wins right there and then if they can somehow uh, maybe split with the AFC South, that's nine wins, and then just get one more from those last two games, uh, which are the Jets and the Raiders. Um, and and hosting the Raiders is where they go next. They host the Raiders uh, on November 1st. That'll be the week after Cincinnati, and uh, that'll be their last game before the bye. So if they could sneak in a win against Oakland right before the bye, that'd be great because... Their uh their next few games get a little tough. So we're at the midway point. That'd be the one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight games, right? So they uh, they have the bye week week nine right in the middle of the season, and that'd be great if they could make it to five and three. Uh, that would be awesome. But you know, I think the Raiders are a tough team. I think they keep on getting better in the like the the best ways. You know, I'm not sure what to expect from their quarterback play because I think Derek Carr's fine, but um, you know, he's just like a middle of the pack quarterback, but he's definitely good enough to beat you and definitely good enough to put up some big points and they're adding tough players all over the place. So, um, the Raiders, that would be a tough game. And then at that point, they'll have already gotten done with both Bengals games. So, uh, and already a Steelers and Ravens game. 
The Redskins are one of their lesser opponents. You got to win that one. And then Dallas and Indianapolis, those are some tough teams. So, <coughs> excuse me. So, five and three was the hope to be at the break because they've got two tough games coming up uh, in the beginning of November. And uh, the first one is they host Houston and then they host the Eagles in back to back weeks. It would be nice to get one win out of those two. Um, I know that's. You know, a lot to ask, but those are two of the playoff teams that they are facing in the season. Uh, they don't face many playoff teams. They get those two. Uh, Baltimore is, you know, they face twice, but that would be the toughest stretch of the schedule, at least for like a two-game uh, part. So I think one and one at in that stretch would be uh, would just be dandy. That'd be great. Okay, so um, after a quite a stretch, so. Um, after the Browns go to Dallas on October 4th, they are home, then Pittsburgh, uh, Cincinnati, home, bye week, home, home. Then they fly to Jacksonville on, on for the 29th, November 29th. So they are in Cleveland or at least the Ohio area for a very long time, most of October and most of November. So I think that's an area where it's like, look... That's, yeah, Indianapolis, the Steelers, Bengals, Raiders, Texans, Eagles. It'd be nice to go 3-3 three and three in that stretch. Uh, that's not asking for a lot. But if the Browns can be 6-4 uh, and four at that point, then they go down to Jacksonville, that's got to be a game you got to win. It has to be a game you can win because Jacksonville is basically shown. They're playing for quarterback next year. They're going for Fields or Lawrence. Or even Trey Lance. Not a lot of people know about Trey Lance yet, but next year is going to be three quarterbacks uh, pretty early in the draft, and the Jacks don't have one. They just traded Nick Foles. Gardner Minshew, they did not invest a lot in. I think they like him as a player, but he's not a franchise quarterback, not going to be a Super Bowl winning quarterback. I mean, who knows? Maybe he'll shut me up and prove me wrong one day, but if you want to be serious, you got to make a a better effort uh, at quarterback. So they'll be going for one next year, and that's a game the Browns can't lose. They can't lose that one. Okay, so that ends ends November. Then uh, then they go to Tennessee to start December and the final crunch of the schedule. Uh, That'll be a tough one. There's no doubt about that, and I expect that to be a loss. But if that's another one-and-one right there, if the Browns keep on trading wins and losses through that tough part of the schedule – that would be great. So if they could be seven and five at that point with four games remaining, this is a four-game stretch that I really like for the Browns. On the 14th of December, they host the Ravens on what I believe is uh Sunday night football. It might be Monday night. No, yeah, it actually looks like Monday night football, which I hate because the last time the Ravens went to the Browns on Monday night football, it was the kick six where Will Hill stepped out of bounds but returned it for a touchdown. Uh that sucked. I mean it's it's you know it's probably like number like ten or twelve on the like worst thing that the Browns, the new Browns have done. But um, you know, because instantly it was like not surprising to any Browns fan. But it is just such an absolutely like awful way to lose a game. This will be a crucial game though for the Browns. If they want to be making a playoff push this is a year where there are seven teams making the playoffs from the AFC. You basically need to be in the better half of the AFC if you want to make the playoffs. It's not as hard anymore with six of the of the thirty of the sixteen teams. It's now seven of the 
16 teams, you know, you're just about half of the AFC and it makes the playoffs. Brown's got to be one of those teams. They have, you know, it, I know it's a rookie head coach. It feels like we have a rookie head coach every year, but Kevin Stefanski, he's going to be making a much easier game for Baker Mayfield. They're going to take the pressure off of his shoulders. They're going to run the rock. They upgrade their O-line. They've done the things they need to do. Now they just need to implement an offense that isn't going to be turning the ball over. If they can somehow win that Baltimore Ravens game, even if they lose it and they win the earlier Ravens game, if they can go one-on-one with the Ravens, the next two games, they go to New York. They go to the Giants on the 20th, and then they come back to the Jets on the 27th, which is the same stadium. <coughs> I got it. I got it. I got to tell the truth, guys. I hate that they're coming to New York twice at the end of the season where I typically am not around. Um, I go to uh, I go to Ohio for Christmas with my cousins. So um, it'll be interesting to see what we do this year because, you know, last year I didn't really get to spend Christmas with my girlfriend. Instead, went to Ohio. So uh, we'll see. We'll see what ends up happening. But um the Browns coming to New York the one time I go to Ohio is 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 pretty hilarious to think about. Uh again, we should we'll see. We'll see what that goes on with fans at games. We'll see what goes on with the schedule and everything. But two straight weeks of the Browns coming to uh the Giants and Jets. I'd like to at least get to the Giants game, which is on December twentieth. I think they gotta win both of these games if they want to make the playoffs. The Jets are our team that is basically aiming for, they finished with a better record last year than the Browns because the Browns decided that they quit on Freddie and they lost the last four games of the season where the Jets won a couple. Um, it, but if the, if there's an extra playoff spot, I got to think, you know, Denver, they've made some big improvements. They want to go get it. Uh, the Raiders, they want to go get it. The Jets, the Browns, these are all teams that are missed the playoffs last year that are going to try and go make the playoffs this year. The Patriots, I hate to break to people who think that the Patriots are tanking. They're not. They're actually going to be good. I mean, let's think about this for a second. The Patriots last year, Tom Brady was not all that impressive. In fact, everyone is highlighting how they asked him to do the least amount he they've ever done in his career. They're running the ball a lot. They were checking down a lot. They were just asking not much of their quarterback. So I don't think Jared Stidham is that much of a big fall from the play of Tom Brady last year. Okay, not from like Tom Brady of years ago, the Hall of Famer throwing, you know, deep, you know, shots to Randy Moss. This is they think Stidham can be an NFL average quarterback. And if he can do that last year, Brady was barely above average. So I think Stidham isn't going to make them as bad as people think. And I think they're going to have a winning record and they're going to be fighting to win the AFC East with the Buffalo Bills. So the playoff teams it's going to be crowded in the AFC uh for the playoffs. I don't expect Cincinnati to be making a play for the playoffs and in Burrow's rookie year. I don't expect the Jaguars. Um however, everyone else, it seems like they want to be a playoff team. The Chargers, the Raiders, the Broncos out west are all chasing the Chiefs, but they all are are trying to win now. The Titans, the Colts, um and and the Texans, they all look like they can win the AFC South. And then I don't think the Dolphins are going to be, you know, now that they drafted Tua, they drafted their left tackle of the future too, they're not going to be tanking anymore. They're going to be playing to win. They have two first-rounders next year, but they 
they made the big splash this year. So um, we'll see. And then the final game of the season, the Browns host the Steelers. Uh, it's on January 3rd, quite the late game uh, for the last game of the season. Um, and we'll see. I mean, this game typically Browns Steelers to end the season has always gone the Steelers way. Hopefully the Browns are in a different position this year. And, you know, maybe by then, uh, we'll, I mean, the dream would be beating the Steelers, knocking them out of the playoffs, getting into the playoffs. And that being Ben Roethlisberger's last game is just him getting molly whopped by the Browns. That's the dream. That's the dream. Um, I look at the schedule and uh, I mean, I think, okay, if the Browns play <coughs> up to their talent, if they play to the way we believe they can play, I think 10 and six is a great uh, is a great thought. you know it, it, they have to weather the storm of that m- middle of the season if they got if they can get out ahead of this you know and start five and three and then you know go three and three in the middle of that schedule, I think that's huge. With late in the season, you know, the Ravens, the Steelers, I could see those going losses, but I could also see them winning those games. And the two New York games, I think they got to win those. So I think 10-6 and six is very possible. Uh, I think they just got to make sure they uh, weather that middle of the section. That, that Houston-Philly back-to-back, that could be really, really harmful. Um, and I wouldn't be surprised at all if they go 6-10 and 10 again. I really wouldn't because... You look at teams like, you know, they could go on two against the Ravens, lose to the Eagles, the Texans, lose to the Titans. Uh, they could drop one of the Cincinnati games and drop a Pittsburgh game. And all of a sudden, that's that's like seven losses right there. And that's not including Dallas. It's not including Indianapolis. It's not including, um, I mean, one of the New York games. They could definitely, definitely lose one of the New York games. So... You know, I think I think the Giants are going to be better than people think. Um, whether or not they have pe- players that keep on getting arrested for assault, you know, that's up to them. But anyway, that's the Brown schedule. Uh, again, I I'll, I'll look at it more in depth in August when we have a better idea of what's happening with COVID. But for now, I mean, six and ten to ten and six, it could be anywhere in there. <clears throat> okay, all right, so. Sorry for my coughing. I have no idea what's happening. It might be allergies. Who knows? I'm going to go through each team. I'm going to you know, give my little breakdown of, of a letter grade of what they've done. I'll start alphabetically, and I'll uh, at the end, I'll go through who I thought were the winners. Okay. So, and the losers. Don't forget the losers. <laughs> okay. So, <clears throat> first up, Arizona Cardinals. Um I was a little surprised by the Isaiah Simmons pick. I mean, at the time it made sense. I thought Carolina would pull the trigger on him. And I thought Arizona just made so much sense to go Werfs. Um, Or, I mean, or Wills or Becton. Just an offensive tackle. You know, you invest in Kyler Murray. You uh, got rid of Josh Rosen. Like, it it would seem very crucial to make sure you're protecting Murray. You you put all your chips in on him. And then they went out and they got DeAndre Hopkins. They already had a good receiving core already, and uh, now they added DeAndre Hopkins. The last piece they needed to complete this offense, uh, outside of the, you know, I think they could use like a game-changing tight end, but um, they need to protect him. Kyler Murray was sacked like a thousand times last season. He was one of the league leaders in sacks, so I think it's important to address tackle. They got lucky. They didn't have a second-round pick. 
Um, they passed on tackle in the first round, and they eventually get Josh Jones in the third, which I thought was a, a huge steal, especially for a team that needed tackle so well. Like this was a really a good job, and uh, after you know you draft a Simmons, a guy who's going to be a Swiss Army knife all over the defense. I don't know how they'll use him, but I'm glad he went to Arizona where a team like Cliff Kingsbury, who thinks outside the box as a head coach, uh, I think they're going to use him quite well. And uh, I, I just I like him as a piece there in the desert. So um, I, I look at the Cardinals draft, you know, after those two guys, you know, they didn't have a second round pick. But Josh Jones, I wouldn't have been surprised if he went late first or even 18 to uh, the Dolphins. That's like that's as high as I kind of saw him going was if the Browns like passed on one of those big time guys, traded down a little bit and took Jones. I would have been OK with that and said they get Jones um, in the third round. Uh, they also added in the fourth round two defensive tackles, uh, Fotu and Lawrence, to really you know beef up that run defense, which I think is going to be helpful and uh, allow you know uh, Simmons to kind of roam a little more. And Evan Weaver is a nice pick in the sixth round, um, as well as Eno Benjamin in the seventh. You know they got rid of David Johnson and uh, they drafted a you know in-state kid in Eno Benjamin. I like that, um, and I like the fact that they got rid of. <clears throat> they're high-priced running backs, and they're going with the late-round investment. I think that it's always the smart idea is you just you know filter in running backs, the young running backs on rookie contracts. I wouldn't be surprised if Benjamin is producing in year one as a backup running back. So I really like what the Arizona Cardinals did. They didn't have a second-round pick, but they still did good in kind of drafting for need and fit. Uh, I gave them a B-. minus. Um, Simmons is one of the best players in the draft. Uh, and and Josh Jones fills a huge need, but after that, it's kind of like uh, just four depth players. So uh, that's why it's like a B minus for me because you know if you really want to hit that A level, you need to get more than uh, you know more than that. So actually, I'll just give them a solid B because that is you you added two players at at need and and uh, were were really good value picks. So uh, it's a solid B for Arizona. Atlanta, however. I'm not going to be as generous with, um, you know, they made, there was a lot of talk going into the draft that the Falcons were going to make a big splash, that there was talk of them moving up to number two or three, which would have been just like absurd. But at the same time, we've seen Thomas Dimitrov talk big game and then follow it up by making a big move. You know, um, the, the famously, the day of the, um, 2000 and, uh, draft, uh, Matt Ryan apparently texted Julio Jones and said, like, we're coming to get you. And Julio Jones said it on ESPN that, like, he got a text from Matt Ryan and that, like, they're going to go draft me. And everyone was like, oh, wow, wouldn't that be crazy? And then they trade up to six with the Browns and uh, they go and get Julio Jones. And Julio Jones has had an unbelievable career in Atlanta. So Thomas Dimitrov has said things and followed it up before. And he, d he doesn't like bluff. But this time he did bluff. There were thoughts that he was going up to get Okuda or even um, C.J. Henderson. He didn't. He waited. He stayed at 16. <clears throat> and um, he drafted A.J. Terrell, who is a is a fine corner, a decent corner, but more so like a second-round pick. It was kind of just like a you're drafting it like just another guy. And at 16, you're like, wow, you know, I'd rather see them trade down if they're just going to take A.J. Terrell, especially since C.J. Lamb was still on the board, 
And they could have easily just said, hey, listen, does anyone want to come and jump up ahead of Dallas and uh, take C.J. Lamb? Or uh, not C.J., C.D. Lamb. You know, that I think they could have been able to move down and still add A.J. Terrell. I think A.J. Terrell was a reach there. And, and, and you know, that's, that's just what I think. Marlon Davidson in the second round. I think Marlon Davidson is a nice depth piece. They are kind of all over the place with their D-line. So I think he should help them. But... Um, that's a depth piece in the second round when you already took a reach in the first round. Then Matt Hennessy in the third round as a center, he's not even going to be starting. And then they go Michael Walker, linebacker in the fourth round. Again, not going to be starting. And Jalen Hawkins in California uh, safety. And they drafted a punter in the seventh. So, like, that's not even a draft pick at this point because you shouldn't be drafting place kickers or punters. And I know the Browns did it last year, but, I mean, they only had six picks. They took a, a, a punter with one of them, so they had five draft picks, and it seems like four of them are for depth, and one starter who, you know, it was a reach. So Atlanta, I was, I, I did not like their draft. It could still work out for them. They're still a seven and nine team that added a player at a at a position of need, and then depth at areas where they're really really thin. However, I just didn't like it as much, so I gave them a D. Atlanta is a. Uh, you're probably going to be hearing from them later. Okay, next up is the Baltimore Ravens. Uh, people were slobbering all over them for their draft, and uh, they did do a really good job. So like like you see from the Ravens a lot, they often take a lot of players. They make a lot of moves and uh, still get guys that they like and, and often get best player available. So um, they drafted... They drafted, I think, 10 guys. 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10. Yeah, correct. I said 10. Drafted 10 guys. They started with Patrick Queen at the end of the first round. Um, I thought to myself, like, there's always a couple guys in each draft that I think their their boomer bust is, is completely related to who drafts them. You know, like, um, you know, Johnny Manziel was, was, was a bust through and through. He was going to tear down wherever he went because, you know, that's just like it was his attitude and everything. But there are some players that they feed off of like the energy around them. Like I think T. Higgins is one where like I could have seen him go to Green Bay and been like an all pro receiver. But he goes to Cincinnati where I'm like, you know, is he going to be a number one or is he going to be lost in the sauce as a number three Um is how is he going to deal with the losing there? Like he's one that I, you know, that like kind of gets lost in the games sometimes. And, uh, that's one that I worry about. Patrick queen is, is in the same boat of a guy that I think if he went to a bad team and a bad defense, like if he went to Arizona and you know, they, they just expected him to be an all sorts linebacker. I would say that was a bad pick. However, he goes to Baltimore where they already have a great coaching environment there. They have everything that you kind of need for young players. So I'm sure Patrick Queen's going to go there and be great. Uh, in the second round, they drafted J.K. Dobbins out of Ohio State. Again, this was one where it's like, it bothers me so much where Browns fans are like, oh, I'm conflicted. I'm like, no, you're not conflicted. It don't like I don't care if you're the biggest Ohio State fan in the world. Like he doesn't play for your team anymore. If you are a Browns fan, you got to root against guys that play against the Browns. J.K. Dobbins is now the Ravens running back, and he's got to be your enemy number one because he's a good running back. Um, 
I think they'd be wise to play him early and start him over Mark Ingram because he has burst and he is super underrated. I think it was a really good pick for them. Um, it didn't exactly address like a big need for them, but at the same time, they're going to walk away from Mark Ingram after this year when Dobbins has his rookie year underneath him, and they're going to run with Dobbins and run him off the, you know, really into the ground for the next four years. So I expect Dobbins to be, uh, you know, kind of a heel in a lot of team sides. Uh, Justin Matabuki in, in the third round was one of their four three uh, third rounders. And uh, I think he was one of the best value picks of the draft. He went early third. I could have seen him going late first. This guy, he is a savage. And it seems like the Ravens, uh, actually, it seems like the AFC North follow all of the Browns Twitter handles because it seemed like every player that was drafted in uh, for the AFC North teams was like always in the Browns mock draft mills. So, and Justin Matabuki was on the Browns daily mock draft like every day almost. Uh, he's going to be a force to reckon with. Him and Queen added to the Ravens front seven you know, you know, we're going to hear about them. They're going to be good players. There's no way around that. Uh, the next pick was Devin DuVernay, wide receiver from Texas. Again, I think that was a reach. Uh, I still think he, I mean, he's a speed receiver. And it seems like Baltimore is doing something at the receiver position where they're looking for speed and to stretch the field. So I, um, he fits them schematically. I don't think he's the most talented receiver that could have been drafted there. And I think of all the receivers drafted in the AFC North, he's not one of the top like four. But um, I do think he uh, is a decent fit for them. Then they drafted Malik Harrison, another Ohio State guy. Uh, just, I think, a pick after the Browns drafted uh, Jacob Phillips. Um, so you'll see them linked together for a long time, especially since... The first LSU linebacker went to Baltimore. Browns get the next LSU linebacker. And then an Ohio State linebacker goes to Baltimore as well. So a lot of like, you know, there'll be a lot of, you know, ESPN graphics to say the least. Uh, Harrison, I like. I think he's a good player. And uh, he's the second linebacker they drafted. They wanted to address the position. They did. Uh, so I, I think he's a good player. He's not like a huge difference maker. I think Baltimore will play him for four years and then let him walk. Uh, Tyree Phillips was a reach in the third round, but again, they're not going to be playing him right away on the offensive line. So he's going to be a, you know, kind of like sit and learn Ben Breedson, kind of the same thing. If they expect either of those guys to start for Marshall Yonda, uh, that's not happening, but I don't think they are expecting that. Uh, Broderick Washington from Texas tech, another defensive line depth piece. That's the fifth round. So at this point, you know, with the Ravens, I think they're kind of just like taking shots to see who uh, fills and who could be a like dime in the rough because the Ravens are a very complete team. They don't need depth picks right now. Uh, and that goes for James Prochi. Uh, he's a sixth round pick. I wouldn't be surprised if he's cut. I wouldn't be surprised if he's starting for the Ravens because <clears throat> they have, you know, Marquise Brown, Willie Sneed. I like Miles Boykin. Um, and then they add guys like DeVernay and Proche. Or Proshi. We'll see if both of them make the team. I, I think Proshi could be better than DuVernay. Uh, he's a really solid route runner. He's got pretty good speed. He's got really good hands. So not much you want more than an SMU wide receiver. And then the one of the most 
the best value picks uh, of the draft, the best value pick in the seventh, Geno Stone, safety out of Iowa. He won't be starting. He'll be a special teamer, but he could eventually turn into a starter for them. It was a really good pick, and uh, all in all, it rolled out an A draft for the Ravens. It's not an A+. Plus. It's it's definitely an A, though, because I they didn't address the edge at all. They really did a good job of upgrading their inside linebackers, which they needed to. They didn't really need to go D-backs, and they added a really nice steal there. Um, they, they just added so many good pieces that it's hard not to give them an A. I think uh, the people that are saying that they're the winners of the draft, I think they're slightly biased, but it's still an A draft, so good job, Baltimore, I guess. Next up is the Buffalo Bills. Uh, a very Billsian player, AJ Epineza, in the second round. They Remember, they didn't have their first. They traded it for... Uh, for Stefan Diggs. So they draft Epineza, uh, which is such a Bills player, you know, blue collar, lunch pail kind of defensive lineman. Uh, really nice steal at the end of the second, especially when you don't have a first. Um, in the third, they drafted Zach Moss, which is great because they needed, I thought they needed a new, fresh bell cow running back. And I think Moss is the guy. Uh, I, I like that pick for them a lot. He's going to be their guy for the next like four years. Singletary as their backup option. Good. You're done with running back. Congratulations. Uh, Gabe Davis from UCF, a wide receiver. I liked that pick too. I, I thought, you know, in a draft with so many high profile wide receivers, this one goes under the radar for a fourth rounder. Um, and it's not like they have a ton of at the receiver position right now. I think, you know, they have clearly their slot guy in Beasley, and they have their number one, the route runner, and Stefan Diggs. Gabe Davis, he might be able to be that, like, out other uh, other receiver. that like, On the three receiver sets, four receiver sets, he'll probably be in. So we'll see. But after that, uh, Jake Fromm and Tyler Bass, they draft a, a, a backup quarterback and a place kicker. You know, Fromm's not going to be starting. They made it really clear that there's no competition. And Tyler Bass, like, cool, you got a kicker, but those picks don't really do much for me because they don't help the Bills right now. Isaiah Hodgins in the sixth, though, I thought that was a great uh, value. He's one of the better route runners in the draft. Doesn't have much speed, but he does have good size and hands. He doesn't drop anything. And then Dane Jackson, a uh, corner from Pittsburgh, late in the seventh, I thought one of the better value picks as well. So uh, this was a, um, this I look at this draft a, a lot like Arizona's. I think this one has a chance to be better than them, but I'm going to give them a solid B as well. I think uh, for a draft that didn't have a first rounder, this is a, a really solid haul. Um, so a B for the Buffalo Bills. Okay, uh, next up we got the Carolina Panthers. Uh, as you've probably heard, they drafted seven players, and uh, all seven played on defense. It wasn't their seven original picks. They had, um, you know, they moved up from their pick in the third round to the late second to snag Jeremy Chin. So, um, but they did draft seven defensive players, which I, I after thinking about it more, I love what they did. Um, because Matt Rule thinks he has what he needs on offense. You know, he has this bell cow running back who also receives the ball. They got his new quarterback this year. Um, they have uh, they upgraded the wide receiver position by adding Robbie Anderson. They already had DJ Moore and Curtis Samuel, so that position uh, is, is sneaky good. And um, you know, it, 
they didn't need to do much on offense. If Matt Rule thinks his system's going to be great, he spent an entire draft up to upgrade the defense. Derek Brown at seven was um, they got one of the best players in the draft and a possible big time interior d- disruptor. And then early in the second round, they added Itur Gross Matos, who I think like I, he should have been a first rounder. And right there, they're just making their D line like this is great. Like the, the, this is exactly what they should be doing. They're building an identity on that defensive line. Um, they already have Burns, who was shocking people uh, when he came out with like you know getting a ton of sacks in in very limited snaps. So I think just the 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 way they're building up that front after losing Luke Keekley is a really good job. Then uh, they move up to make sure that they can get Jeremy Chin, which you know a lot of people look at as like um, Isaiah Simmons light. And if he's that Swiss Army knife piece that a lot of people thought they wanted to get in Simmons, I th- I'd rather get this draft than taking Simmons there and then adding defensive line after. Uh, I think this was I think this is a great haul for them, especially with their third pick. Uh, then the next pick they they replace Bradbury with Troy Pride Jr. I think uh, in the fourth round it's a pretty good value, and then Kenny Robinson uh, out of West Virginia, but also of the XFL. Uh, I think that's a pretty cool story to be getting him, but he showed he was a he was pretty like tough player at the XFL level, so uh, a nice way to use their fifth rounder. And then uh, in the sixth, Bravian Roy uh, is a I think a good just like rotational slash like you know depth piece. Uh, I wouldn't expect him to start, but uh, along the D line, if you if you are trying to change your identity, you need to be drafting depth pieces too. So I like that pick, and then. Their final pick, Stanley Thomas Oliver, uh, cornerback from Florida International. He, you know he, he's six foot one ninety. <coughs> Excuse me, sorry. Um, and he's had some good film against good teams. So again, you're in the seventh round. So uh, I I loved what Carolina did. I thought uh, they they had one of my favorite drafts because you look at their first four picks and it's impact guys and they are going to reshape that defense. Uh, they get an A minus from me, and they're one of my favorite drafts just from what they're able to do. So, moving on to the Chicago Bears, the Bears was one of my tougher evaluations because, you know, they didn't have a first rounder and they didn't have a third or a fourth or a sixth, right? So they drafted in only the second, fifth, and seventh rounds. In the second round, they added two guys: Cole Komet and Jalen Johnson, a tight end and a and a D back. Um. I didn't think that tight end was a huge fit, although I love the fit for them because, or a huge need because, um, you know, Cole Komet is like their ninth tight end now, but he's going to move right to the top of the, uh, of the list. He's a local kid. He went to Notre Dame. His family was so pumped when they drafted him that I was like, okay, I love the fit. I love what they're doing. It just seems like for a team that didn't have a first round pick to be adding a tight end in the second round, is kind of a risky move. However, seven picks later, they go and get Jalen Johnson from Utah, who could have been a first-round pick. So now you're looking at their first two picks are Cole Komet and Jalen Johnson that I could have seen both of them going early second round, and they go to the same team. So um, you know what? Not a bad haul considering, but then you go down to the fifth round. You get linebacker Travis Gibson from Tulsa, uh, D-back Kindle Vildor from Georgia Southern, and wide receiver Darnell Moody, Mooney from Tulane. 
I thought those were kind of stretches. Uh, Mooney, a lot of people think, is going to be like the sleeper wide receiver of the draft. And, um, you know, we'll see. But uh, I, I didn't I didn't peg him to be that guy. I did like Kendall Vildor again. But uh, I felt like, you know, he was like one of those seventh rounder undrafted likes. But, yeah, if he's going to do well, then good for them. They they got two D-backs that I really liked in this draft. Um all in all, this was kind of just like a a kind of like an okay blah draft. I give it a C plus. Again, they didn't have a first rounder, and uh, they just didn't attack the areas that I would have liked to see them go after. Um, you know, they, they needed offensive line, and they waited till the seventh round to do it. Um, they needed they didn't need a tight end, but they did that anyway, and they didn't have a first rounder. So yeah, it just kind of seems like a like a like like a a wasted draft, not even wasted. That's a tough way to put it. Uh, just in a draft where a lot of teams really struggled, I don't think the Bears did. All right, next up is the Cincinnati Bengals. I mean, the story here is Joe Burrow. Uh, clearly, they got the first overall pick, and they drafted one of the best players in the draft. You know, who had the one year wonder, who transferred from Ohio, St- grad transfer from Ohio State, went to LSU, didn't do well in his first season at LSU. After losing the job to Dwayne Haskins, but then he does well in his senior year and basically blows every statistic and everything out of the water and just does really well for himself. So congratulations to Joe. I, I, you know, he's the hometown hero. He's kind of staying home. You know, he's from Athens, so not too far from Cincy. I think they needed to make this pick. You know, if it works out, it works out. If it doesn't, it doesn't. Like... But you needed to make the Joe Burrow pick. Um, that that's that's all I can say about that. Now, <clears throat> after you pick Joe Burrow first overall, it's very important to surround him, and not with receivers and running backs. You already had Joe Mixon, and you already had a good list of receivers. Cincinnati had underrated receivers last year. You know, Alex Erickson was like their fourth receiver, but um, they also had you know they still have AJ Green, who's not really playing. Uh, all that healthy recently, but they still have him. And Tyler Boyd, who's one of the more underrated guys. Alex Erickson is their like fourth receiver. Oh god, I'm forgetting the name of the Florida State uh, receiver, uh, Alden Tate. So that's a four man set right there. That's already pretty good. Um, they can't protect the quarterback, and they didn't draft a tackle until the sixth, and that's Hakeem Adeniji, and. I don't know if Akiva Denergy is even staying at tackle. So they didn't address tackle. Now they do have Jonah Williams from last year's draft who didn't play at all. So that'll be an upgrade along the offensive line. But I felt like they should have really addressed offensive line at the at the 33rd pick. And instead they went T. Higgins. So, you know, it while it's the sexy thing to do is give your number one overall pick a quarterback a receiver to play with for a long time, especially since he's wearing 85, Chad Johnson's number, and, you know, Joe Burrow's going to be wearing number nine, Carson Palmer's number. So, you know, that's like, you know, fan porn. But I um I, I just felt like that was a risky move to not go tackle there and say, okay, Joe Burrow, he's going to be under stress a lot this season. And, uh, I, I mean, adding T. Higgins wouldn't have been my move there. Um, the other story with the... Bengals draft is they drafted the first pick in every round, no additional, no less. 
first pick in the first, second, third, fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh round. They didn't make any trades at all. They just sat there and took their players, which is crazy. You never see it. It's never it's never been done at the first pick of each draft uh, ever since they've like instituted the seven rounds. Okay, so in the third round they added Logan Wilson, who was one of the Browns like you know fans' favorites. Um, so that was kind of a bummer seeing him go there. And then they start the fourth round with Akeem Davis Gaither from App, App State. Uh, I, I like that they're kind of just overhauling the linebacker position. You know, they're getting that stink of Vontez Perfect, even though he hasn't been there for a while. They're just, you know, kind of overhauling the position by adding new young faces. And uh, they're kind of just getting a whole new vibe from that team. And I like what, what Zach Taylor's doing. Uh, Khalid Kareem, I thought, was one of the best fifth-round picks um, in terms of value. You know, uh, He's going to be a guy that rotates right away on the D-line. I said what I said about Adeniji. Maybe he turns into a starter. Uh, their line is terrible, so who knows? He could have got a chance. And then in the seventh, they had Marcus Bailey, another linebacker of Purdue. I expect him to be at least a depth and special teams guy. Maybe eventually start, but I do like what the Bengals did. I think... Uh, you know, the three linebackers, they did a great job overhauling the position. Uh, Khalid Kareem is a really nice depth piece in the fifth. Adeniji, a nice depth piece in the sixth. So I like all these, you know, picks. I just think the T. Higgins pick kind of, they went for, I don't know, That's that felt like a pick the Saints should be making there, not a pick like the Bengals should be making. And Joe Burrow, obviously, they hit a home run there. They needed to make the pick. So I really don't argue with a lot of what they did. I just... I would have drafted line earlier, and I would have waited on wide receiver. You can get guys in the fourth, fifth that are not that much worse than T. Higgins, and you could have drafted a tackle where they were flying off the board. I mean, Ezra Cleveland there would have made a lot of sense, and then they could have taken Donovan Peoples-Jones in the fifth. Who knows? And and Or in the sixth, they could have even taken him. You can make those two switches, and this is an A draft. But uh, I'll give the Bengals... And this one's a tough one, but I'll give them a B. They still added uh, Joe Burrow, um, and then they you know, really did a good job at the linebacker position. They didn't need to. That was one of the things. That this linebacker wasn't a need for them. Um, but they added Joe Burrow. So uh, you know, baseline was a C when you add Joe Burrow to your draft. And T. Higgins is still a really good player. He's going he's gonna to be like a star option for them. It's just whether or not they needed to do that. So a B for the Bengals. All right, my team coming up. The Cleveland Browns. The Browns had one major need coming into the draft. Now, I mean, the Browns themselves have a ton of needs. They need a new owner. They need a coach that's been around the league for like 15 years. They need a quarterback who's not going to do dumb shit and embarrass us. But you know what? That's not our problem right now. With the draft, we can only handle what we can handle. Um, and by the way, if it's not clear, I love Baker Mayfield and I love Stefanski. It's just that this team, this team needs time more than anything. Um, one thing is time in the pocket. The Browns had the worst tackle play ever last year. Uh, and even though Baker turned the ball over a lot when his feet were set and when he wasn't under pressure, um, that he has to figure out for himself when he was under pressure though, that was way too often. They drafted or they signed Jack Conklin, right tackle. Boom, huge upgrade. One of the best right tackles in the league, replacing one of the maybe the worst right tackle in the league. At left tackle, you know, we were thinking Andrew Thomas for a long time, 
possibly uh, you know Mackay Becton, and then uh, Tristan Wirfs seemed like the Browns' favorite. I never thought Jedrick Wells would be there, uh, and instead the Browns draft Jedrick Wells Jr. at tenth overall. I thought he'd be gone at four to the Giants. This was a huge pick for them. Joe Thomas loved it. Uh, the 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 way they talk about Wills is great. He he is their biggest need, and they drafted a very young player. He just turned twenty one last week, so it was it was awesome seeing them get him. Um, it, it's just it it fills such a huge need. <laughs> After that, it was like okay, the Browns now have protected their guy. What do they need? They could use a third receiver. They could use depth at um at corner. Um, they need to replace Joe Schobert, but the one thing they really need to do is they need a safety. Uh, you know, last year their safety position was all over the place. You know, after after getting rid of Jabril Peppers, Demarius Randall need needed to be replaced because he's gone now too. So it was like, okay, we have two open spots now. Carl Joseph, love the guy, but he's hurt a lot. Uh, Andrew Sandejo, really nice special teamer. You know, leader of the defense, but um, he's 32 and he's not exactly a starter. Morgan Burnett's gone. What are we gonna do? The in the second round, there seemed to be a lot of good safeties available. Xavier McKinney was around early in the second. Um, Jeremy Chin was there. Kyle Duggar was there. This was the perfect time to be drafting a safety. The Browns moved down a couple picks, add a fifth rounder, and still get Grant Delpit, who I think when he's healthy is one of the top 15 players in this draft. I thought this was one of the best steals of the draft. Again, a lot of people graded the pick based on what they saw last year. And what they saw is a guy who missed a couple tackles here and there. And uh, Grant Delpit hates hearing that because he was playing injured. He was playing on a bum ankle. And uh, we all know how good he can be. So um, if he plays up to his pre-injury um, status, this is a absolutely golden pick for the Browns. Um, and then in the third round, they add two defensive pieces in Jordan Elliott and Jacob Phillips, a D lineman and a linebacker, which the Browns needed some depth at the D tackle position because they have no one under contract, uh, you know, after, after this next season, uh, outside of Sheldon Richardson. But again, they could cut him based on the money that's allotted to him. So adding Jordan Elliott there was a really nice piece. He is very disruptive. And uh, he's a PFF dandy. It seems that the Browns are drafting PFF dandies, by the way. Uh, Jacob Phillips, I thought, was a little bit of a reach for the Browns. But, again, they needed to dress. Linebacker, it was end of the third round. This was like, okay, now that they did this, it kind of just knocks out their last big need. Uh, When they opened up day three, they started with Harrison Bryant, the tight end out of Florida Atlantic, Mackey Award winner. Uh great pick for the Browns. This was this one was awesome because you know, people think, okay, well, they already have David Njoku. They drafted or they signed Austin Hooper. So why do they need to be making a move for a tight end at this juncture? But people are, aren't really realizing the Browns will be playing with two tight ends all the time. If Austin Hooper or David Njoku go down for a couple months, the Browns are going to change their offense. They're not going to say, okay, well, we only need one of them. You know, it's, oh, it's a good thing we had that depth because, we, you know, we're only playing one, so now we get to... No, they they need more than just two tight ends because they're going to be playing two at all times. You know, it's going to be a lot of that. Harrison Bryant, um, I'm really excited to see if they play him in the backfield at all, if they play him at, like, a little H-back. 
um, you know, three tight end sets when they have, you know, Njoku moving around and Austin Hooper maybe on the outside. Uh, Bryant plays really tough. He's got good hands. He moves really well. Uh, he was my favorite tight end in the draft. If you remember when we did the tight end tournament, uh, Harrison Bryant upset the number one uh, tight end, Hunter Bryant, who eventually went undrafted in this draft. So crazy how we looked back at that and it kind of happened that way. I love the Harrison Bryant pick. I felt like it was um, kind of like a luxury pick for the Browns, but the way that the next few picks went, it really worked out for them. So with the fifth pick, a fifth rounder that they didn't have, they got this in the trade down for Grant Delpit. You know, they moved down a couple places. They pick up this pick, which is Nick Harris, who is center from Washington, a really nice scheme fit. However, there is no spot to play him right now. J.C. Treader is the NFL Players Association president. He is a very good center. He is under contract. He just signed a, um, a an extension with Cleveland. However, the Browns do have an opening at right guard, but Nick Harris, they said, is a center. So we'll see. I, I think Nick Harris is just there for depth at this point to say, listen, if J.C. Treader goes down, we can't afford to have this season go down. So Harris, they look at as a long-term option at center because, especially since Treader is already into his thirties. Um, I like the I like the pick at the time. I thought I was uh, it was a little curious. He's not going to be the right guard. He is going to be the eventual starting center on this team. I like it. And then in the sixth, their final pick of the draft in the sixth round, they draft Donovan Peoples Jones. I wouldn't have blinked if he went in the second round. The big the big thing on him is his production. You know, he went to Michigan. He was one of the highest recruited wide receivers in the country. He went to Michigan. He didn't do much. Um, But if you watch, you know, Jake Burns at the OBR tweeted out a lot of clips of DPJ at Michigan and boy was his quarterback play bad. I mean, there are so many plays where he makes a great move, gets wide open on a post pattern and the ball lands like at like where his feet are, and either DPJ makes a nice catch and is tackled on the spot, or it, it just misses him completely and they they blow a touchdown. There are a lot of plays like that where you say, man, if Baker Mayfield puts that spot, puts the ball on his hands or put hits him in stride, Peoples Jones for a sixth round pick, very good value. There are some out there that for some reason think it's their job to downplay anyone's excitement on the Browns draft picks. And I'm here to tell you that don't let it happen. It's a sixth-round pick. In the sixth, you're not really getting guys that are going to be impact starters. So that's where you take chances on guys. The Browns had a need at third wide receiver. He makes so much sense there. I thought they could have drafted him in the fourth or fifth round. And instead to get him in the sixth, this was a money pick. Money pick for the Browns. Um... That rounds out their seven picks. Uh, I, I'm obviously a little biased, but I do understand what they needed. They didn't get a corner. Um, they didn't need a corner. I would have liked for them to have like um, another pick to get a corner. And it turns out they signed A.J. Green, undrafted free agent out of Oklahoma State, uh, cornerback. He was one of the highest rated of the undrafteds, and they, and they signed him to a sixth-round slot. So that was basically adding a draft pick in A.J. Green. And I thought that was a great haul because, you know, he's a guy that if they drafted him in the fifth round, it would have been like, okay, that's that's good. We have some competition in that corner now, which is nice because, you know, Greedy Williams, I like the guy, but 
he he had no competition at at corner number two last year, and for a guy who missed a couple weeks, was kind of burned on a lot in a, a couple other games. We could really use the depth and the competition. So after Denzel Ward, you have Greedy Williams. You now have AJ Green fighting there. Uh, Terrence Mitchell is still there, and you added Kevin Johnson. It, it, it's a it's a nice piece to the room that could that needed a little bit of fresh blood there. So. Um, clearly, I'm going to give the Browns an A. I think they did just a great job of addressing their biggest needs in t- left tackle and safety, and then added really nice depth pieces at D tackle, tight end, center, and uh, and wide receiver. I didn't think that they needed a center, but uh, it was a nice piece already. Um, the only thing that holds them from being like an A plus is that Jacob Phillips in the third. You know, a lot of people had him as a day three guy. But if he fits their mold, this is a home run draft, and I'm giving them an A. So, okay, so next up, okay, uh, this has taken way too long. So I'm going to start getting very fast with my reviews, um, and I'll just run down and try to make them a minute apiece. So uh, next up is Dallas. Uh, I mean, they they got one of the biggest eye-opening picks of the draft in C.D. Lamb, which completely overhauls their wide receiver position. Uh, it took a position where Amari Cooper it was like, okay, he's a good number one. Now he's probably the best number two in the league because I think CD Lamb's the number one wide receiver. Um, it, it really helps out. If you want to give Dak the weapons, this was the thing to do. And then I think, you know, in the second round, they added Trevon Diggs. Huge need at cornerback after losing uh, um, Byron to uh, Miami. And then they could have used, they always needed some depth along the D-line. They added Neville Galmore, and they added uh, Bradley Anai in the fifth. They added Galmore in the third, but Anai in the fifth is one of the best hauls. Um, I mean, that was a great way to address their uh, D-line. Reggie Robinson in the fourth, along with uh, Tyler Badass uh, from Wisconsin, the center, those are great picks up pickups too. I mean, uh, Reggie Robinson was everyone's like dandy of the uh, D backs. So, um, you know, and that doesn't even include Ben DiNucci in the seventh, their quarterback, because uh, whatever. Um, the rest of those picks that that makes this draft an A. The Dallas Cowboys did one of the best jobs in the draft. I think they really overhaul like they they plugged some huge needs with good players and some value picks. And that and you know the only thing that keeps us from like an A plus is they didn't draft a safety, which I really thought you know Xavier McKinney in the first round would have made a lot of sense to them, but um, they did some really good picks, so they get an A. Um, next up is Denver. Uh, a lot of people love what Denver did there. I like their off season a lot. You know they made multiple trades with the AFC South to pick up Jarrell Casey. And AJ Bouye uh, really ramp up their defense for you know pennies on the dollar, and they still added ten draft picks. Uh, I think they had a good draft. They started with Jerry Judy and KJ Hamler, two wide receivers. They want to give Drew Locke every every chance to be good, and that's a good thing. If this is how you surround a young quarterback, and they didn't even draft Drew Locke in the first round, you know. They already have a good offensive line, right? Um, they didn't need to do much there, but they did add uh, Lloyd Cushenberry and Natane Moody. Uh, Cushenberry in the third, Moody in the sixth. Uh, I thought those are some nice depth pieces for their line, um, but they already had a pretty good O line. At 
on offense, they had Cortland Sutton, but they add three receivers in this one with Judy Hamler, and then in the seventh they added Tyree Cleveland. They plan to get out, run, and make it a track meet, and at home games, the defense is not going to be able to keep up with that air and these wide receivers. So I, I really like what Denver did. I, I'm, I'm not going to say I'm scared of them, but like you now look at them and you're like, I don't want Denver on my schedule. I think they're going to be a playoff team. Um, the only thing that kept them from like an A for me is, you know, in the third round, they added Michael Ojemudia. And I thought, what a, what a huge reach. Uh, to be taking a corner at that point. And I think Hamler in the second was like kind of just a little bit of a uh, you know luxury pick when you, uh, you know, I, I felt like that could have been a good tackle spot. They have a good line, but they could have really, you know, they could have upgraded over Garrett Bowles. There's no reason why you have to stick with him just because you took him in the first. Uh, and then they did get two, you know, linebackers slash edge, whatever you want to call them, with um, uh, Derek Tuzo, but that was in the seventh. And Justin Strad, but I think he's more of a linebacker than he has an edge rusher. And uh, McTelvin Adjum is a interior D lineman. So, um, you know, those guys, I was like, ah, th- you know, those are good depth pieces, I guess. Uh, but they aren't exactly the where they needed the competition. And Alberto, the tight, I'm not going to even try to pronounce his last name. Alberto, the tight end out of Mizzou. Um, again, he is a project. But they're not going to need him to play right away because they already have Fant at tight end. So, um, all in all, th- this was another one. Th- I give this one a B minus. They added some nice pieces and they made some you know big splashes. But, um, but you know when you look at it, it's like they didn't. They could have drafted tackle and edge um, because I don't think they got a lot of starters here. And I'm not as big on KJ Hamler as some are. But uh, Jerry Judy Hamler, uh, Lloyd Cushenberry. Uh, Alberto, Nate Moody, you know, some good picks. So B minus for Denver. All right, next up is Detroit. Uh, I do like again. I, uh, again, I like a lot of these drafts because I liked a lot of these players. So uh, I thought this was a really good draft. So it was hard to have a bad grade in this draft because there are so many players that I liked. Um, Detroit dra- added Jeff Okuda to replace Darius Slay. It's a very safe pick at three. I had them moving down and drafting Okuda, but they stay at three and take him, which is fine. In to start the second round, they drafted DeAndre Swift, which is interesting because they just added Carryon Johnson in the second a year ago. So you know, or two years ago, but um, I I wouldn't have expected them to add another running back so quickly. However, Julian Okwara to start the third round, and then a couple picks later, they get guard Jonah Jackson out of Ohio State. Um, and, oh, they still get uh, Logan Stenberg, the other guard from Kentucky. So I felt like they got some very nice pieces that those guys can turn into starters real soon. And all of a sudden, you're looking at a pick a draft where the um, the Detroit Lions got like five or six possible starters here. Quintus Sivas in the fifth round. Uh, I liked him late. Uh, I thought this was kind of like a mini reach. But, uh, again, he, he was one of the guys that all the Big Ten – Corner said, who's the toughest wide receiver you faced all year? And it wasn't Donovan Peoples-Jones. It wasn't any of the Ohio State guys. Everyone said Quintus Cephas. So um, I like that pick for them. And then, um, you know, Jason Huntley, running back of New Mexico State. I never liked drafting two running backs in one draft, especially when they already had some on the on the team in carry-on Johnson. So uh, I, I felt like that was a bit of a bit too much. 
Um, all, all in all, this is this is a solid draft, but uh, I give it like a C plus because you know it's it's just that you know the initial impact you'll get from these guys. You're wondering who is going to see the field. Is uh, is it just going to be Okuda, Swift, and Aquara? Uh, that kind of feels like that's those are the only guys are going to make like day one impacts. But this has a chance to be really good because there are three guys that could be starters you know, in the long run. Um, but I, I do feel like, you know, it's a C plus it's, it's a slightly above average draft for the Detroit lions. Okay. Green Bay Packers been getting a lot of hate in this draft. Um, and I think it's rightly so, but the Packers were a 13 win team last year. And apparently they're drafting like they're a rebuilding team because they, they traded up to get Jordan love the quarterback out of Utah state. Wasn't the craziest idea because I saw drafts where Love was going to a team like New Orleans, uh, Pittsburgh, Green Bay, teams that have an older quarterback that is looking to get a young quarterback. Um, Aaron Rodgers is older than Brett Favre was when Rodgers was drafted, so it makes sense that they are going for his replacement. Now, Rodgers spoke very candidly about how he wanted a receiver and that now, after this draft, he's like, well, it's very clear that, you know, their timeline with Jordan and their timeline with me does not spell for me ending my career here. But, you know, it is what it is. Um, they could have added receiver at any of their other picks, and they did not add one wide receiver in this draft. So uh, that that's not great because they needed that, and this was a great draft to do so. Instead, in the second round, they added A.J. Dillon, which... I don't know why they did that. They already have a great tandem at running back with Aaron Jones um, oh my, and Jamal Williams. So I felt like Dylan, huge overkill piece. Josiah DeGuara, the tight end out of Cincinnati in the third round, I thought, <clears throat> um, I don't know. I mean, Komet was already off the board, but it seemed like they could have taken four or five different tight ends there that would have been better picks. Uh, we will see, but this was not at all my favorite draft. This is actually one of my least favorite drafts because of just, you know, what they didn't do. And also like, you know, it just where they decided to address positions, like draft a running back in the second round. Those guys usually are starters and AJ Dillon might be their third running back. Jordan love in the first round. That's, you know, usually you draft a first round quarterback to play and he's not going to be playing too. So, um, and I don't, I don't see any of these guys playing right away. The linemen they added, Jake Hansen out of Oregon, John Runyon out of Michigan, Simon Stepaniak out of Indiana. I don't think any of those guys play. They already have a good offensive line. You know, they that often gets injured. Yeah, that's one thing. But, you know, adding three linemen in the sixth that aren't going to play when they, you know, and, and adding, you know, guys early that aren't going to play. This this is an F for me. This is just an F because I and I I'm not trying to be harsh on the Packers. I like the Packers. I want to see them do well, but I don't know. I felt like uh, when you're a team that's trying to win now, you uh, you make some plays to win now. It doesn't seem like they're trying to win now. Okay, moving to the next third of the NFL. Houston uh, again. Houston did not have that many picks. They only picked five guys. They didn't have a first. Uh, they didn't have a sixth or a seventh. They had two fours, though. Uh, their first pick was Ross Blacklock from TCU, D-tackle. I really like Ross Blacklock. I like the player. Um, Fit-wise, uh, 
sure. I I I guess uh, I could I would have seen you know Houston. They just lost DeAndre Hopkins. They don't uh, add wide receiver until Isaiah Coulter in the fifth round. John Reed in the fourth round. I thought you know kind of a high pick for him, but uh, I did like the player, so I'm not going to hate the pick if I if I like the player. Charlie Heck in the fourth though, I thought was a kind of a reach. Jonathan Greenard in the third, huge reach. Uh, DeAnd out of Florida. So Blacklock was really the only pick I like in this draft. I think Houston, you know, and they're not going to have a first rounder next year either. Um, I like Blacklock, the player, but this is still a D plus to me because uh, they just do not add a lot here. Uh, not a lot to add. Okay, Indianapolis, though. Uh, I do like what Indianapolis did. They didn't have a first round pick. You know, they traded it for uh, DeForest Buckner. But in the second round, they add two instant offensive playmakers in Michael Pittman Jr. and Jonathan Taylor. Uh, this is what you should be doing at running back. You have Marlon Mack for you know a year, I think just one more year. So this is how you do it. In Marlon Mack's make or break year, you draft another running back to eventually replace him. And you have one year of the two of them being your thunder and lightning, and you ground and pound with them, and then you let Mac walk when he gets too expensive, and then you hand the keys over to Taylor. It's the perfect recipe at running back. I I will be proud of the Browns if they do that in a year with Nick Chubb because they're going into year three with Nick Chubb. I think going into year four with Nick Chubb, they need to be drafting his replacement. Uh, as much as I don't want to see them let him walk, it's the right and responsible thing to do. Um, at wide receiver, they needed another another one outside of T.Y. Hilton. I, I, I've I never been a big T.Y. Hilton fan, and maybe it's because he's really small, and you know, I in my mind, he's just like a one-trick pony. But with Michael Pittman, they're getting a huge receiver, they're getting youth, and they're getting like they're finally investing a higher pick. You know, it's the second pick of the second round. You know, pretty high pick uh, for a wide receiver for them to be investing in. So I like that they're doing that. They already have, um, you know, they have Rivers Brissett at quarterback, and then they add Jacob Eason to learn behind the two of them. I thought that's also a wise fourth round investment at the position. You know, Rivers probably going to play for one or two years. I wouldn't try and hold on to him forever, though. Um, Brissett, very good backup. And uh, high high paid now too, so Eason won't be seeing any of the field. He'll be learning behind two very solid pros, one who's been around the league forever, one who has seen his fair share of backing up and starting. He's now backed up. Brissett's backed up Rivers and Brady, um, and Andrew Luck. So this is a good quarterback room for Jacob Eason to be going to, especially with Frank Reich as the head coach. Um, great offensive line, adding a couple of nice pieces. Uh, and then on defense, they add not a whole lot. You know, uh, Julian Blackman, Robert Windsor, Isaiah Rogers. These are all guys that I I, I could see them not even making the team. Um, so, you know, late in the draft, don't love what they did. But early in the draft, I do love what they did in that second round. Um, enough for me to give them an above average C+. Again, I don't see much impact after those top guys, but I do really like Pittman and Taylor for this team. Okay. Uh, next up, Jacksonville Jaguars. Uh, they had a lot of things to play with this year. You know, Jags, you're wondering where are they going? Which direction are they going to try and like build a team around 
Minshew, are they going to build it up for next year's quarterback? Are they going to make a play for a quarterback? Well, they didn't make a play for a quarterback this year. Uh, they drafted Jake Luton in the sixth, uh, but he's not their play at quarterback. Uh, at nine, they ticked C.J. Henderson, which a lot of people had. I had in my mock. Um, and then they drafted Caleb Von Chasen at 20th. Very nice combo to be adding in the first round. Um, it makes it clear that, okay, since they're not adding some offensive firepower early and that they've been kind of selling off pieces, that this might be a tank year for the Jags. They have two firsts next year, thanks to the Jalen Ramsey trade. Um, they're going to be making a play for a quarterback next year. So what's the thing you do in the year before that? You typically want to surround that guy with pieces so you don't need to force draft picks next year after drafting a quarterback. You can make a play and move up for the quarterback if you need to. Um, they do draft Lavishka Chennault in the second round, um, and they drafted Ben Barch in the fourth round to tackle. So I thought those are you know good pieces to be adding for this next quarterback because you know let them learn the offense for a year and then add the quarterback next year and you'll have some protection and a nice receiver there. Um, on defense, they added a lot of defenders, uh, but Sha- uh, Shaq Quarterman, linebacker from Miami, um, and Davon Hamilton, D tackle of Ohio State. I-, I like those picks as well as kind of that like you know middle of the rounds. Uh, depth picks. Colin Johnson, I thought in the fifth round, was a really nice steal and a huge wide receiver. If you're adding that to already Lavishka Chenault, it's a nice, um, you know, he's huge. And and I think it's a nice, uh, nice piece to be adding to the wide receiver stable, especially since they just let go of Marquise Lee. So, um, not a not a lot to love. They're definitely making a play for next year. I wouldn't have been surprised that if they if they basically decided, look, we're not making a play for any of the quarterbacks this year, we should move out of nine. I wouldn't have been surprised if they did a trade with Atlanta and they get Atlanta's first next year to do this. That's what that's a move that I was looking for, and that's kind of a trade I I had mulled in my head. So, um, it never happened, but they took their guys, and I like their first round. So. Um, I think Chenault, if he's healthy, is a really nice piece there. And, and then they add three first-round picks is basically if Chenault plays up to it. So I look at this as that's a B-minus draft. And there's a lot of ifs, and there's a lot of we'll like wait and see. Um, but, you know, B-minus draft, they added a lot of, uh, lot of players. Okay, the Chiefs, Super Bowl champs, only had six draft picks. There's not a lot you need to do when you're the Super Bowl champions. So what do they do? They they take something that they've got that's great, and they want to make it even better. Uh, they don't need running backs, but they added Clyde Edwards-Hilaire anyway because they said, look, you know, we we have a really good offense. Now we're going to have a running back under contract, uh, his rookie contract for five years. Um, Clyde is going to be like they're going to ride him into the ground. He upgrades their running back stable, which was already like pretty underrated. Now it's going to be good. And it's just adding to an offense that it, it, their offense is going to be unstoppable. So uh, I really like the pick. I, I hate taking running backs early, but the only time you do it is when you have a team that's competing to win a championship right now. You know, that's the last thing you draft as running back. It's you have your quarterback, you have the offensive line protecting them, which they do. They have a good offensive line. They have a great quarterback, one of the best in the league. 
um, receivers they can replace year after year because um, they just basically run a track meet, um, and you can find guys that can do that. And uh, the one thing we were missing on offense was that running back, and they did that. Um, In the second round, Willie Gay Jr., uh, I think a little bit higher than a lot of people thought he would go, but he is super athletic, a super freak on defense, and I think he has a sky's the limit type of player, and the Chiefs really got a good one there. Um, In the third, they drafted Lucas Nyang, which I, I love that pick because... He was a guy that I I had in my you know uh, in the players bracket of the NFL draft this year as making a couple upsets because I thought he is a really good pass protector and the only questions he had were injuries but he's gonna be drafted basically for depth at this point because they already have good tackle play and if he eventually gets healthy and plays to what he can be you just got a left tackle of the future in the third round and it's great. Um, the last pick I'll, I'll, I'll point out was Legereus Sneed in Louisiana Tech. He was one of my favorite guys coming into the season. Didn't hear much about him, but again, I liked him a year ago. So the fact that like they got him in the fourth, I, lo- I love that pick. I think Kansas City did a great job with very limited picks. But their first four picks, I really like. When you're a team that just won the Super Bowl, you don't have a lot of holes to fill. And uh, to add four guys that you can be happy about. It's a B-plus draft. Okay, the Chargers are next. Um, it, this one's tough because, you know, I, I get the appeal with Justin Herbert. I don't think he was nearly as good as these guys are getting drafted bef- after him. You know, um, th- there was some really great up-top talent, but if you have your guy and he's there at quarterback, you don't mess around. You just do it. Okay, so you draft Justin Herbert, I think is is fine. But then they move up for Kenneth Murray, which I was very surprised. I thought someone would do it, but I didn't think it would be the Chargers. So after they move up for Murray, who you know was a late first-round prospect, uh, then they get him at 23. They don't pick again till the fourth, where I think I thought they burned a pick on Josh Kelly. You don't you don't need a running back there. You um you know, you could have used offensive line. You could have used D-backs. Uh, they eventually got uh, Alohi Gilman from Notre Dame, and they added wide receivers Joe Reed and K.J. Hill. So, I mean, I like some of the players they added, but I didn't feel like they needed to go that heavy at wide receiver, and I felt like they could have added a corner and a tackle where they didn't. Um, but they got, they got their quarterback of the future, and they got the captain of the defense in Kenneth Murray, uh, they have a very fast, freaky, and physical defense. So um, I, I, I'm i going to give them a C-plus because they just adding Herbert and Murray is just a really nice haul. Um, and then the the guys, you know, Joe Reed and K.J. Hill, I think are really solid adds. I'm not sure how much time they're going to see, but they are good value. All right, moving on to the L.A. Rams. I like uh, for a team that didn't have a first-round pick. Uh, Cam Akers and Van Jefferson, uh, I mean, they basically said, look, we don't care about value. We care about running our offense and having guys come in and out that we know we can trust. Um, they get rid of Gurley and they're like, look, Cam Akers, you're going to you're going right in. Um, 
at wide receiver, they um, they're like, look, we need a third receiver now. You know, we um, we lose Brandon Cooks, Van Jefferson. You're you know, tag, you're it. You're coming in. Uh, and after that, you know, Terrell Lewis and Terrell Burgess, linebacker and safety combo, decent depth. Bryson Hopkins in the fourth, I thought was a pretty good pick. Uh, after that, it's it's not a lot. I think this is a C draft for the Rams. Uh, they're a nine and seven team that just missed the playoffs. They could have used more along the defensive line, I thought, because you know that's how they built their identity, and it's it hasn't been getting any stronger, um, especially since they lost Fowler, and they could really use some depth. But um, um, after losing Brockers as well, so uh, I thought you know that's just like yeah, that's just that. It's a, I kind of like a C minus actually. Las Vegas. All right, they were they had an interesting one. You know, they had two first round picks, and they draft Henry Ruggs and draft Damon Arnett. And everyone goes, did not see that coming. Did not see Ruggs being the guy. Did not see Arnett being the guy. But it makes sense. They fill exactly what, um, what's his face, Mike Mack wants to do. So that shouldn't have been a surprise to anybody. Everyone thought he was going to draft AJ Terrell. Terrell went like two picks beforehand, so he takes Damon Arnett. Um, don't love those two picks, not going to lie. I thought I would have rather them seen them go C.D. Lamb. Um, and then I thought Arnett, that's just a huge, like huge um, uh, reach. And then in the third, they go Lynn Bowden Jr. and Brian Edwards, two wide receivers that I really like, but you know you already drafted Henry Ruggs in the first. Uh, and you already have some decent wide receivers on your team. Then Tanner Muse in the third, huge reach. John Simpson uh, in the fourth, don't really don't really need another Clemson guy, but yeah, go ahead anyway. Amik Robertson in the fourth was a great pick, and he was their last pick. So they got seven guys, um, a lot at the wide receiver and cornerback position. Um, a very head scratching draft, but I gave them a C minus because I just felt like you know they did really well with some of those late picks, but. You know, Tanner Muse is a huge reach. Um, Damon Arnett was a huge reach. You and you could have, you didn't need them because you got good guys at other positions. Um, I felt like they should have went different wide receiver. They shouldn't have gone three receivers. So this is a C minus for me. Uh, yeah. All right, that now takes me to Miami. Uh, sorry, I took a little break, watched some TV with Sam. Um, uh, Miami had a very interesting draft because, you know, you go into the draft with the most amount of picks with the number five pick and two more first rounders. You expect to have, you know, no matter what, a great draft. I think they did. Uh, not having to trade up for Tua was huge because a lot of people assumed if they moved up from five, it would be to three and they would probably cost them at least a one and possibly a two, maybe even both of their ones if they got desperate enough. But they didn't have to move up. So I thought that was a great job by them. And, uh, you know, to, to just, like, hang in there, stay at five, and call uh, call out the bluff of Detroit. So I thought that was a win right there, staying at five. And picking Tua was a huge move. Um, at 18, they went Austin Jackson. Um, you know, like... It's it's not a bad pick. It was definitely the biggest need, and he's a pretty good player. He just seems more like a project at this point, and I think for them, they really need to fix the line right away, or 
at least don't play Tua right away if you're not going to have a fixed line because I don't think they did fix it. They added a good amount of guards. They had a Robert Hunt and uh, Solomon Kinley. Um, so that that's like a pretty nice guard duo that they added in the draft that I think was, um, you know, is good for like the long term. And, uh, you know, with, with Austin Jackson, he's a pretty young tackle and everyone knows the story about him with um, his sister and, you know, him donating the bone marrow. So he definitely wasn't, you know, full health this season. So I think uh, he definitely projects with like a really good upside and they might have had like a home run with that pick. Uh, it just, you know, it's like a wait and see type thing. And in 18, they're only one off from CD lamb. And you think, man, that would have been something if they go after CD lamb. And I know, you know, it was more important to address tackle. It just seemed like if they waited to 30, they could get Austin Jackson, or they would have been able to just take an Ezra Cleveland or one of those other guys at the beginning of the second round. So, you know, so I was like, okay, that's fine. Um, and then with the 30th pick, I didn't like that. They went with Noah Igbenegany. Uh, I, that's not exactly pronounced right, but whatever. Um, I just thought they already addressed cornerback and free agency. Uh, it seems like he's like their third corner right now. And, you know, if you really believe in the guy and you think he's going to be like a shutdown number one corner, you go and get him. That's fine. But it just seems like they had, they had this opportunity to really have a big splash on offense in the draft after doing so much on defense and free agency. And I thought maybe, you know, go after and get either, maybe they go Dobbins or Swift, um, which I know is kind of against the rule of drafting running backs early, but, um, or even I, I wouldn't have been mad if they went doubled up on tackle, if they went Austin Jackson and then they went Ezra Cleveland and then said, okay, you know what? We are, we got our quarterback. We are making sure that we're surrounding him with like protection because that's most important. So I thought that would have been a, a better move than going corner at that point. Or even one of the wide receivers, T. Higgins would have been there. Uh, LaVisca Chanel or uh, uh, Michael Pittman Jr. I don't think Miami really needs wide receiver, but I, they didn't really need corner either. Um, and they were able to address guard later. So um, I, I do like that they got a couple big steals in the fifth. They got Jason Strobridge and Curtis Weaver, who that'll really help their defensive front. Uh, and then Brandon Jones is a nice D-back and Raekwon Davis on day two. So they, they really did add a lot of good players and they forwarded over a couple picks to next year too. So I think all in all, the Dolphins did a good job. I'm going to give them just a B- minus because I think, you know, if you look at the number of picks they got and uh, how high up the picks were, I mean, they had, you know, 5, 18, 30, and then they had the 7th pick in the second round and the 24th pick in the second round. Um, you would think with that they would leave with more uh, day one impact, especially since, you know, you get Tua at 5, and it just seems like a, a lot of question marks. But, you know, if Robert Hunt, if he starts a guard right away, that's a big one. Maybe Kinley does too, so who knows? But there's a lot of question marks with the Miami one, so I'm going B- minus for them. Okay, moving along, we got Minnesota. Uh, the Vikings originally didn't have that many picks, and then after trading digs and moving down a couple times, they ended the draft with, I think, 14, 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15 drafted players, which is so surprising considering that Minnesota is already, you know, they're a 10 and 16. 
10 and 16. They were second in their own division. And outside of a crazy kind of like stroke of good luck from Green Bay last year, they were right with them for the best team. So you rarely think a team like that needs 15 rookies. And they're going to have to cut some. But I do like the rookies they got. Um, I think Justin Jefferson at 22 is like the ideal replacement for uh, Stefan Diggs. You know, you know, you're going to have him for five years. He's going to be much cheaper. He's younger. He's healthier. And uh, he is very explosive. I know Diggs is like one of the quintessential route runners of the NFL, but Jefferson has like big time player, big time game type of, you know, uh, game to him. So I really like that. And then Jeff Gladney with their second pick in the first round. He uh, he addresses their biggest need. Last year, their D-back play really fell off. So adding a cornerback day one like Gladney uh, at 31 was really good. Uh, Ezra Cleveland seemed like a bit of a um, luxury pick. Uh, but, you know, they uh, they were talking about moving some guys around, possibly a tackle moving inside. So, um, you know, whether that ends up happening or it's just insurance and they have a, a tackle that, you know, he was the 26th pick in the second round. That's a low, that was really low for Ezra Cleveland, who there was some talk that the Browns were going to pass on guys at 10 because they're going to take, move down a little bit to take Cleveland. So um, the fact that Cleveland makes it that far, that's really good value. So three value picks right off the bat, uh, and we're still in the second round. Cam Dantzler, I think, is the most underrated corner in this draft. I think he's actually better than Jeff Gladney. So to get him in the third, huge get. And then uh, they did make some reaches, I think, after that. DJ Wanham and James Lynch seemed like late day three guys. They took them early on day three. Uh, Troy Dye, linebacker. Again, he's going to be a special teamer. He's going to be a depth guy. Harrison Hand, uh, the corner from Temple, is the same. Uh, I mean, we're only halfway through their draft at this point. And then they got a lot of guys a lot of guys on that late day three. They're fourth, seventh rounders, but uh, Kenny Willikies was a really nice late pick for them. I think you know at, at you know at the very least you have a like you know workhorse defensive end that's going to be in there for you know a couple snaps a game and then on there for special teams and then just work you guys in in camp. Nate Stanley was the ultimate Minnesota Vikings pick. I thought that was hilarious when they took him. I'm like, yeah, of course. I mean. Those Big Ten quarterbacks belong in the NFC North. I think they just like you know have to stay there. It just makes me like feel better when I see that. So um, I like what Minnesota did. They moved around a ton. I as a team that I thought like you know they're right on the cusp of you know competing. Maybe not have that many late day picks, and I would move up and move around more. But um, you know that. This is another approach to it, and they want a lot of fresh young bodies. They're really turning over the roster, and they had a big salary cap problem. So they're looking at it and saying, look, if we can replace a couple guys on the roster with day three rookies, we're going to do that. But don't think that all 15 of these guys are going to make the team. I'd be surprised if 10 make it. Um, you know, I mean, they had two sixes, four sevens, two fives. You know, if, if three of those guys make it, that would be a lot. Um, regardless, they, they, they went after it and they have, that's one way to go again, uh, with the draft. And, and I, I kind of like it. I'm, I'm, 
I, I'm curious to see how it works out for them. So uh, I give the Vikings another B minus uh, just based on sheer volume. It's hard to hard to hate what they did, especially since the first four picks I thought were really good value. All right, next up, New England. I know a lot of people uh, went crazy about New England thinking, okay, well, they're going to get a quarterback eventually, and they made it so abundantly clear that Stidham is their guy. And they've been saying it all along. We're just, we don't want to listen because it's a, the sexier thing is to give them a rookie quarterback like Hertz or Love or possibly uh, give them like a free agent like Andy Dalton or Cam Newton. That's just not happening. They like Stidham. They think that he can do a li- like, you know, 80% of what Tom Brady did last year. They're going to be a playoff team. And uh, they wanted to replenish the defense because they lost a couple guys. So they're like, look, we have the same offense that we did last year. And uh, we're going to hope that Stidham, you know, carries them enough. On the defensive side of the ball, though, they did have Kyle Duggar uh, and Josh Uchi, two players I really liked that they added in the second round. Uh, and then Anfrey Jennings, uh, linebacker out of Bama, and Devin Asiasi. They doubled up at tight end. They also had Dalton Keene from Virginia Tech. And we know when they want to double up at tight end, that typically works out really well for them. Um, after that, I you know they, they added a couple late day three guys. Nothing of like real like substance there. Uh, I, I look at this draft as just a C, uh, C minus even, because they really didn't capitalize on the two second rounders and, two, and three third rounders. I thought they made reaches. They took guys that fit their system, which is totally fine, which is great. But um, if you know, in terms of when you look at all the halls of this draft, this is definitely on the lower end. So I'm looking at New England as a C minus in this one. Um, yeah, yeah, that's simple as that. Okay, next up, New Orleans. Uh, one of my least favorite drafts uh, in this one. It's it's one of my big three losers, and you know, I, I don't mean to like jump on them, but. Uh, a lot of people are praising it. I am not. So they only took four players. Uh, first pick was Cesar Ruiz at the 24th spot, um, the center of Michigan. Uh, then they didn't pick until the third round when they traded up to the Brown spot um, to get Zach Bond. And they gave up their fifth. Um, no, I'm sorry. They gave up their third next year to move up to that spot. Um you know, I like Zach Bond. I think he's pretty good, and it was good value there. However, I didn't think it was worth giving up a future three for it. I thought the Browns did a great job moving down there because you know they they got a guy I really liked, and they added a future third round pick. But that's always a nice move. Um, Bond, he was a little banged up, so you know maybe we'll see him hopefully be uh, you know full health. But at this point. We're just projecting a little bit based on what we've seen in the past, and you want to be able to get a guy, if, if he's your second pick in the draft, you want him to be helpful. Uh, then they moved back up onto day two to get Adam Troutman. Um, I like Adam Troutman. I think you know he's a good tight end, and before the Browns went after Austin Hooper, I was trying to get Adam Troutman in like each mock draft. Uh, the only problem is you know this wasn't really a, a big tight end class, so guys were getting pushed up like, Adam Troutman of Dayton that normally would be more like day three guys. Um, the other thing is Titan t- tight ends typically take a little longer to develop in the NFL and the New Orleans Saints are playing for like the right now. They're trying to capitalize on this Drew Brees window and 
if they're only going to have four draft picks and they're moving up to get guys and they're getting aggressive and dealing future third rounders, you would think that they are going after guys that are going to be more you know, on the field and playing right away. Now, typically with Sean Payton, he makes all of his draft picks work out for him. Uh, I just don't love this haul. Uh, I also think, you know, Cesar Ruiz, up until the, you know, they cut Larry Warford, so now there's a spot opening uh, for Ruiz to play right away. But at first it was like, is this guy going to be a backup? And then they said, we didn't draft him to be a backup. Then they cut Larry Warford, and things made more sense. The um, And the other thing is they, they only had four picks. Their fourth pick was in the seventh round where they took a quarterback, Tommy Stevens, out of Mississippi State. Now, normally you would look at that, and a lot of people are saying, oh, well, Sean Payton said they had to get him. They moved back up onto, you know, they didn't have a pick. They made sure that they went up and got him. They didn't want to wait until undrafted free agency. So they must really like him. And I'm like, and I'm thinking to myself, well, if they really like him, then, and they're letting that out and they're giving up picks to get back up onto today to take him, why did they draft Jameis Winston? And why did they give... Taysom Hill another year on his contract and and Drew Brees are they're not going to carry four quarterbacks and if they put this guy in the practice squad someone's going to swoop him up why wouldn't Jacksonville say oh the guy that um Sean Payton really likes that just worked with Drew Brees for uh, a couple months yeah we're going to take him now and we're going to see what he has to say and we're going to pick him up and put him on our roster for a couple weeks because frankly we're not trying to win and we don't really have anyone backing up Gardner Minshew and who knows, maybe Tommy Stevens is worth something. So I, I don't really like that approach, or at least if you're going to do that, don't don't pick up Jameis Winston. Or maybe, who knows, maybe they trade Jameis Winston to a quarterback hungry team and, and you know, they figure it out because Sean Payton typically figures things out. However, this is a four-player draft, and um, I thought this was bad. I, I, I think I look at a team like the New Orleans Saints that are really – very good team and if you're going to move up and get aggressive with picks I want guys that you know are going to be solid players right away Ruiz is fine but they, they could have moved up and gotten like Justin Jefferson they could have taken a like you know a shot at a guy like T Higgins or Michael Pittman and really taken their passing game to the next level or who knows, maybe they get a running back because Kamara, they're going to have to pay soon. And frankly, I wouldn't want to pay him. So um, I look at this as a D plus. It's not very good. And um, you know what? I, I, I think the Saints are still going to be good. And the players in this draft are probably going to be good for them. But right now, it's just a, it's just a bad look compared to the others. Okay. Um, the Giants. I think the Giants had a good draft. Uh, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten players drafted by the New York Giants. Um, they had the fourth overall pick. A lot of people, I mean, basically everybody had them taking a tackle. There was buzz that they might take Simmons. Um, th but that seemed to be kind of like, or, or Jeff Okuda, but that kind of seemed to be like, nah, not really real. Um, if they knew about DeAndre Baker, maybe they would have given Jeff Okuda a look, but I'm proud of the Giants for just sticking there and taking a tackle. Uh, a couple of my buddies, one of them is you know a big Giants fan who didn't like the pick because he said he thought uh, you could have gotten this guy at 10, but no one was really going to move up with the Giants because it, that's exactly right. You know, There's not much difference among these top tackles, so it's just important for the Giants to get the guy that they wanted. Andrew Thomas, you know, early on in the process, I think it was Matt Miller, was like Andrew Thomas to the Giants in Sharpie. 
And he said that in like February or something. It was it was freaky early. And it might not have been Matt Miller. I might be giving him too much credit right now, but I think it was Matt Miller because when I read that, I was like, um, okay, sure. You know, Andrew Thomas, he's a, a very solid pro-ready offensive tackle that's going to step in right away and be your blindside protector for the next decade. And that's exactly what the Giants need. They don't need to mess around. They, um, they could have drafted... Jedrick Wills, I'm very happy and putting him in at right tackle and he doesn't have to worry about switching over to the left, which he has to do with the Browns. And same with, uh, you know, Mekhi Becton and um, and Tristan Wirfs. These guys would have been able to start right away, um, but they took their guy and they stuck with him. And, and I think that's totally fine. There was buzz that, you know, the Browns really liked Andrew Thomas. Um, I, I I don't think the Browns knew Jedrick Wills would be available. I, I, I thought... You know, Andrew Thomas would be more likely a Browns pick at 10 and Wills at four. It goes the other way. Um, but Giants, very, very solid pick, uh, very responsible pick. They needed, absolutely needed to give Daniel Jones a left tackle. This was the best pick, one of the best picks in the draft, considering what Daniel Jones needs and what the Giants need to do for him. They put all their chips in with him. They have Saquon Barkley and, you know, he's going into year three of a five-year deal, basically. You want to be able to use him to his fullest potential. Now his offensive line in front of him is already better. Um, they also had another tackle, Matt Pert out of UConn, who is enormous, um, but might not be ready to play right away. But that's fine because I don't think they're looking to play him right away. However, in a year from now, when they get out from under uh, the contract of whatchamacallit, the uh, New England Patriot that they signed to play tackle, who sucks. Um, when he's gone, they will be able to play Pert at right tackle probably. And I, th- I think that's just a really nice like pickup for them because in the third round, he was kind of like, you know, going around in, in, like the, basically in the, that like first 10 spots. So I think that's a, a good spot for the Giants to take a guy that – doesn't need to play right away, will eventually be the starter. Um, and you know what? Like, it, and and that wasn't even their next pick. They actually, I jumped over the Xavier McKinney pick because, you know, Xavier McKinney, he's going to be another one that's just very helpful for them right away. They have um, already Jabril Peppers in their defensive backfield and just exercise his fifth-year option. So um, that'll be, you know, he... He kind of completes their D backfield. They just had the DeAndre Baker thing, which really sucks for them because you know with Julian Love and uh, and James Bradbury coming in, they really had a nice you know triplet of corners going on there. But you know this is uh, you know now they got to deal with this, and you know who knows what is going to happen with DeAndre Baker. Uh, however, I think this is just um, excuse me. It's just a really solid pick. Xavier McKinney could have been um, a first rounder. Instead, they get him with the fourth pick of the second round. We'll, we'll see how all these safeties shake out because that early second round, you had Grant Delpit, Kyle Duggar, Xavier McKinney. Um, later in, in the round, you had Jeremy Chin. A lot of safeties went in the second round after none going in the first. Will be very interesting to keep an eye on. Uh, Darnay Holmes, a little high in the fourth. Shane Lemieux, uh, fifth round pick. I don't think he's going to be very helpful for them. Um, you know, he was surrounded by some some top talent at Oregon. Uh, Cam Brown at Penn State again, 
you know, him and Carter Coughlin, I think, are just like depth pieces. But again, you need depth pieces. So uh, I think the Giants did a decent job. I, I think they did. They followed the they did the most important thing for their team. And then they doubled down on that. Um, they could have used a wide receiver. And I thought in a very deep wide receiver draft, not uh, not adding at least one, you know, was. Uh, kind of just like a, a gut punch because you'd like to see them get a little bit better and younger at the position, but I guess that's what next year is for. And um, yeah, I, I think they did a decent job. So I'm going to give them a C plus. I think it was a decent job. Andrew Thomas was a great pick for them. Xavier McKinney was a great pick. Matt Pert, solid pick. I just don't see much help coming this year after those first two guys. Uh, well, Darnay Holmes might have to step in soon. Okay, the Jets. The Jets have... <laughs> Jets did a pretty funny thing because they were able, with their first three picks, to add three guys that were on the all-Jake team. And then, with their second-to-last pick, added, or their second-to-last and third-to-last pick, added guys that weren't on the all-Jake team but were strong consideration. So, I'll go through those real quick. Mackay Becton at 11, I mocked to the Jets. I thought this is going to be like an easy slam dunk because I don't see Becton going in the top nine. I didn't see the Browns taking him at 10. And it really came down to, do the Jets want a wide receiver or do they want a left tackle for Sam Darnold? And much like the Giants did for Daniel Jones, much like the Browns did for Baker Mayfield, they and the Giants or and the um, Dolphins did for Tua, they're like, look, it's very important to get the young quarterback a left tackle for the future. Makai Becton fits that perfectly. The dude is a behemoth. He is an absolute alien when it comes to the position. So um, it will be interesting to see, can he hold it up for a full 60-minute football game because he didn't run as many pass sets as a lot of these other guys did. That's the one thing that you know Wills had uh, and, and Wirfs had and Thomas had is that they have like the experience uh, and the competition down. So... We'll see how that goes, but Becton does have some great tape, and he is fast enough for the position. A lot of people thought he wouldn't be for you know a guy that weighs 365-plus pounds, but he's plenty quick for that size. I like the pick. I like the pick a lot, um, especially since I – and I told my friend, Brian, who's a Jets fan, I said, you know, Brian, take the tackle now. You can get a wide receiver on day two. And at the end of the second round, at the 27th pick in the second round, uh, they took Denzel Mims, which was a huge steal at that point. I thought Denzel Mims would push into the first round. I had him going to the Green Bay Packers in the first round, and I thought that would have been like a nice pick for them. Uh, instead, he basically goes a round later to the Jets, who were in need of replacing Robbie Anderson, giving Sam Darnold a nice young target. This is a great young trio that they have between Darnold, uh, Becton, and Mims now. I mean, that's that's this is what you dream for. This is what you build an offense on. And if you want to get the best out of Sam Darnold, you better make sure you're giving him targets and protection. And uh, now it's on him. It, just like with Baker Mayfield, it's on Baker Mayfield to perform. He has the targets. He has the protection. He has a new offensive coordinator. If it's if it's not getting done, it's time to look in the mirror. So uh, same goes to Darnold. It, it's time to perform. Um, their next pick, Ashton Davis, one of my favorite safeties in the draft. I did not understand this pick because they are set at safety. Um, you know, they had Adams and May. 
uh, back there. So unless they're going to be playing three safety sets all the time, or if Davis is going to be kind of their like slot corner, he's already old for the position, uh, old for a rookie. Um, maybe they will end up trading Adams and they needed to have a guy in there, but I don't really know what the fit is. However, I do like Ashton Davis. He's one of my favorite safeties. Um, they then took the back-to-back uh, -back picks uh, from Florida. They took Zaniga, the D-end, and LaMichael Pirine. I like what they do with Pirine because I think you want to be able to get ready to move on from Le'Veon Bell. Um, I think the Jets are realizing he is not worth the money, and no running back really is worth spending all that money on when you can, you know, when a, a quarterback that's well-protected can make any running back good. So wouldn't you rather spend on the protection because you need to protect the quarterback anyway, and when you have a protected quarterback, he makes the weapons that much better. It's like, you know, you know, instead of paying for a running back and then watching no one do well because the O line's not doing well, so I think I, I think the Jets are slowly realizing that, and I think P Ryan is going to have a chance to eventually take over for uh, the job. I had Cam Akers going to the Jets in um, in my mock because I thought that would be like a great you know you know substitution plan for them. Uh, P Ryan though, same idea. Then later in the draft, they got Bryce Hall in the fifth. I thought was a huge steal. He can probably become a starter at some point in his rookie season. And Cameron Clark, who is you know, like everyone knows, Mackay's Becton's like best friend. They worked out together and stuff leading up to the combine and and the draft. So uh, if Clark might move inside, he was a tackle at Charlotte. We'll see what they do with him. But uh, they got some like mauling, like tough guys, and I think. Uh, I think they did a really good job in this draft. Uh, I gave the Jets a, uh, a a solid B. I think they just they got good players at a lot of different spots. The only you know the only problem I had was Ashton Davis. You know, it doesn't really feel a big need for them. They had such a great safety tandem. No one thought you know the fourth pick in the third round should be spent on on a uh, on a safety. I thought maybe Zach Bond would be a much better pick there. You know, and, and Zach Bond went a couple picks later to the New Orleans Saints when they moved up, but uh, they could have they could have taken a couple different edge rushers there that would have made just so much sense for them. Uh, however, you know, if they think Zuniga's the guy, they took a couple picks later, and who knows, maybe they have a plan for Davis. But uh, in terms of the players, though, this is a B draft. It's a, it's a good one. I like it. All right, moving on, we're back to the NFC East again. We got the Philadelphia Eagles who, uh, you know, if you were watching the draft on Bleacher Report, you'll notice that Adam Lefko had a, you know, temper tantrum when they drafted Jalen Rager um, over Justin Jefferson. You know, and, and Adam, I love Adam. I think his show is great. Uh, I like listening to his podcast. He kind of keeps it real a lot. I do think he sucks up to the top-notch players a lot, but whatever. However, you know, he had a temper tantrum because they drafted Jalen Rager and because he's short, and I thought that's a bad reasoning to not like the pick. You know, it's one thing if you really liked Justin Jefferson, but it's another thing to just hate on Jalen Rager because he's short. Um, however, I do think they should have drafted Justin Jefferson. I think that was a huge whiff, um, and we'll see how Jalen Rager works, but they wanted to add speed in this draft. They added Jalen Rager and Jalen Hurts, so... We know that Philadelphia prioritizes the backup quarterback position. I mean, they spent a lot of money on Luke on Josh McCown, and Josh McCown had to play. Uh, they spent a lot of money on Nick Foles. Nick Foles 
everyone knows that story by now. And quickly remind me, of the last three seasons, which one did Carson Wentz finish? And that would be correct. He has not finished a season. He is always getting hurt, and that needs to be taken seriously. And the Eagles said, listen, you know, we paid Carson Wentz a lot of money, and we paid our offensive line a lot of money, We, but we still need to make sure that if the quarterback goes down, our season's not over. Because if Josh McCown was better in the playoffs, and Josh McCown admits he didn't have it anymore, but that was a very winnable game that they lost in the playoffs. And you got to think, I mean, if they have a better backup quarterback in play, and if what if Carson Wentz ends up retiring sooner than you guys think? I mean, no one thought Andrew Luck was going to retire, but he kept on getting hurt, and that's what ended up happening. And they had no contingency plan. Jacoby Brissett played admirably this year, but they moved on right away and and, and picked up Phillip Rivers. You know, so you got to be prepared in case that happens. Carson Wentz was already a really old rookie, and now he's had three banged up years, hurting his knee, his shoulder. Like it just seems like it's a new thing every time too. So I don't mind the Jalen Hurts pick, especially since they are able to flip quarterbacks pretty well. They uh, they drive up the value on these guys, and who knows what ends up happening down the road. I mean, what if a team like the Raiders? moves on from Derek Carr, and they're like, hey, listen, Hertz is, Hertz is making a lot of noise in Philadelphia. Maybe we send them a couple twos, and all of a sudden, you know, the Eagles get something really nice for the pick that they uh, they took, you know, a nice, wise investment. Uh, however, after that, there is a lot of question marks. Um, Davion Taylor, linebacker from Colorado, Kayvon Wallace, safety out of Clemson, um, it, those are depth guys, and it's pretty early to be getting depth guys. You want, you know, especially since Jalen Hurts is a depth guy in the second round. You really want to get more impact guys right off the bat. I don't know if Jack Driscoll is going to be playing for them right away because they already have kind of a complete line. And uh, after that, you know, John Hightower, I don't know the speed guy, but he, you know, he wasn't on a lot of teams' radars. Uh, and Quez Watkins, another speed guy. So they were obviously going speed. And then Prince Tego Winogo in the sixth round, that's a nice uh, value at tackle. So I do like some of the picks here. I think as a team like the Eagles, if they're just going to be drafting for depth, you know, they're already a playoff team. They're competing basically to win the division every year. Um, I would have liked them to go up and make a, a bigger move for a wide receiver. I thought... You know, if they had taken Jefferson there, that would have made a big difference in this draft grade. However, with Rager, with Hertz, there's just a lot of question marks, and I'm not in love with this draft. So um, I gave them a C minus. I think they could have done a lot better, especially considering what what fell into their hands. Okay, Pittsburgh Steelers are up. They didn't have a first round pick. They traded for Minko Fitzpatrick um, in the middle of the season with the Dolphins. They did not have a fifth. They had an additional fourth. So uh, in a sixth-player draft, they took two Maryland guys, Anthony McFarlane Jr., which is not Booger's son, who's a running back, and Antoine Brooks Jr., uh, which is a safety. Uh, I don't see either of them making immediate impact. Um, you know, They already have a lot of depth at running back. A lot of you know, there were a couple Browns people that really liked McFarlane, but they're the same people that liked Benny Snell and James Conner. And it's like, it seems like they just keep on doing the same thing where they keep on drafting those middle of the road running backs who aren't big difference makers, but, you know, they can, you know, play for cheap and not have to pay the next guy. So that's fine. 
Um, but I don't think a difference maker either of them. Kevin Dotson, the guard out of Louisville uh, or Louisiana, Louisiana. Uh, that's you know another fine like depth pick, and Carlos Davis out of Nebraska, the D tackle, another one that's just like depth picks. Uh, I did like their first two picks though. The guys ahead of them, uh, Chase Claypool in the second round, I thought that was a little high for him, and uh, you know who knows he might be their number one wide receiver soon because Juju everyone's seeing was slightly overrated, and then Alex Highsmith the edge rusher from Charlotte. Uh, I think he's going to be a problem. I, I really like his game, and I think um, I think he's going to be a problem for, for the AFC North. However, after that, it just seems like a whole lot of nothing. And um, I don't know. I, I, I give them a C+. Plus. Uh, actually, no, I'm, I'm giving them a C-. minus. I think it's a below-average draft. I uh, um, They didn't have a first-round pick, and then in the second round, they kind of made a reach. And in the third round, Alex Highsmith kind of a reach there but you know you're also taking a guy from charlotte and then after that it's just not a whole lot so um i think the c minus from pittsburgh it puts them and cincinnati uh in terms of the drafts as the lower ones and then baltimore and cleveland much higher in the division so next up is seattle the seahawks um you know, I really wanted them to take Patrick Queen at the 27th pick because I didn't want Ravens fans to be so happy. However, you know, I'm not so sure Patrick Queen's going to be better than Jordan Brooks, the guy they eventually took at the 27th pick. I thought that was super high for him. But the more I watched him, the more I liked how insanely athletic and freaky and just a magnet to the ball he is. And that seems to be kind of like uh, the Seahawks theme. And they don't want to have a drop-off in case they lose a linebacker. So by adding Brooks, they are making sure that that position is never in doubt because that's kind of their bread and butter. Uh, and the next pick was Darrell Taylor, who is an edge rusher who has a lot. Like, I, I love that fit. I think that was a great pick for them. Um, sneaky great pick because a lot of people had him going in the third round and he sneaks into the second round, middle of the second round. And people are like, ooh, is this a little high? I'm like, nope, not when it's a perfect fit. So Darrell Taylor, I really like that fit. And they had Damian Lewis, the guard from LSU. They could always use offensive line help, so I like that pick. Um, Colby Parkinson, tight end from Stanford. I didn't have him even in the top 10 tight ends. And then DJ Dallas, running back from Miami. Like, what the hell are they doing drafting another running back? They do not need more running backs. I did think Allen Robinson, the uh, the DN from Syracuse, and Stephen Sullivan, the tight end from LSU, were good depth picks. So it just seemed like for every I, I, two picks I like, two picks I don't like, two picks I like, two picks I don't like. In an eight team or an eight player draft, I liked four of the picks. I didn't like four of the picks. I give them a C. Um, they could have added more along the D line and in the D backs. But, you know, they uh, they didn't need to do a whole lot. Seattle's already a pretty good team. And they added to their strengths, but they also missed on some. It was really, real big whiffs. Again, they've proven teams wrong, though. They've done it before. The draft in which they took Russell Wilson, everyone said was an F. Okay, next up uh, were the San Francisco 49ers. They only drafted five players. This was one of the smaller drafts in the... Uh, in, in the whole draft, uh, we assumed they were going to be making a lot more moves. They want Everyone said they, they knew they wanted to add more picks. They eventually traded Divorce Buckner and got the 14th pick, or the 13th pick. 
and then moved down one spot to take Javon Kinlaw. So very interesting that they traded a D-tackle just to take a rookie D-tackle. Now, some people would hate that. Um, however, others would consider it like, you know what? Um, they understand that it's it's a salary cap league and that you're not going to be able to keep on paying these guys. So if you could trade them and get a player that's younger on a much friendlier contract and is not much of a fall off, then you got to be happy. I know DeForest Buckner is a really good player, but you're not going to be able to keep the whole crew. And you really do want to be able to pay Nick Bosa when it comes time. Um, so I like the pick of Javon Kinlaw. And then they uh, ended up taking Brandon Ayuk at 25. And I think will fit nicely on that team. I, um, I think that's a pretty good pick. They needed to replace... Uh, Marquise Goodwin, who they traded to the Eagles. That's right. The Eagles kept on adding speed receivers. Um, and then also Emmanuel Sanders, who went to New Orleans. So uh, they they had a need for a wide receiver. And I think between Ayuk and Dante Pettis and Debo Samuel, they have a really nice trio of young guys um, that I would like uh, you know, for my, for my uh, quarterback. And then the big move was they traded a fourth-round pick, I think. Um, or no, they traded two picks for... Uh, Trent Williams, and we didn't know why they did it at the time, but apparently Joe Staley was about to announce his retirement. So that was a huge, you know, need once you realize Joe Staley was going to retire. Um, funny enough that you know a, a legend like him retires and they possibly upgrade. So um, pretty big move there. However, you know, after Kinlaw and Ayuk, they took Colton McKivitz out of West Virginia and Charlie Warner out of Georgia. Those are going to be end of the roster guys, if not even on the roster. They took my guy, Jaywan Jennings, um, Bulldog. Uh, he, he was he was meant to be in Cleveland, but they didn't make it uh, happen in the seventh round. I think that's a good value pick. He might not play much as a rookie, but I think a special teamer guy, he, is, he just seems like the type of guy you want on your special team. So I like that pick. Uh, however, it's just a very empty draft after those first two. This is a C for me because even though they did hit kind of big on those first two and had super huge needs that they filled, um, I don't think they're going to be the 13-3 and three team that they were last year because you know it, it's just a lot of magic happened for them last year, and now they're going to be facing a little bit more problems. Okay, almost to the end here. Almost towards the end, sorry. Um. Next up, we got the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. You know, they they pick up Tom Brady. That's the big announcement, right? And the number one thing you have to say is, okay, you know, you already have, and then they get Gronk, right? So I got Gronk, OJ Howard, great tight ends. You got Tom Brady's throwing to Chris Godwin, and he's throwing to Mike Evans. You've got, I mean, what else could you want for Tom Brady? Well, apparently they had no right tackle. So it was imperative that they move up and get an offensive lineman. Um, after Andrew Thomas goes four, there was a big break until 10 for the next offensive tackle. So I thought Tampa, I had them moving up to eight. Um, you know, I had them in a couple different mock drafts, moving up into the top 10 to go secure a guy like Tristan Wirfs. However, I didn't think Wirfs would make it past the Browns at 10. I thought Wirfs would be a guy, I kind of saw the O-line going in a different route. Um, but... You know, the Jets and the Browns both had their guy. So then Wirfs made it to 12 at that point. And when he was there at 13, 
they moved up one spot with San Francisco, and they said, we're going to take him because it was just the most perfect fit for them. So Werfs at 13 was one of my favorite picks in the draft. And uh, it should be Tom Brady's too. Not only are they getting a guy that helps them right now immediately and fills a huge need, but they were getting one of the best values in the draft. And Werfs is probably going to be a very good player for a really long time. Um, in the second round, they added Antoine Winfield Jr., one of my other favorite safeties in this draft. One of those guys that went in the early second that we're going to be comparing to um, with that you know huge run of safeties. Uh, it wasn't the biggest need for them, but you know everyone likes this player. He has the bloodlines that everyone loves, and he hits hard. And I think in today's modern NFL, adding these safeties. Yeah, you know, it, it's it's always a good thing, and I think he's gonna eventually crack the job. This isn't like the Jets where there's no room to make a, a jump to the starter. He can he can start for Tampa Bay. Um, I didn't love the Keyshawn Vaughn pick. Um, I I thought they should go after a running back. They should get one in the mid rounds. However, I'm not so sure that Keyshawn Vaughn is the guy. But you know, if if they improve their offensive line, if they have this great passing game, maybe it opens up for Keyshawn Vaughn. But I just don't see him as much of an upgrade over the guys they already have. You know, Ronald Jones Jr. seems just fine. Uh, you know, Keyshawn Vaughn seems like he'll be sitting behind him. Uh, Tyler Johnson in the fifth, though, great value for the Bucks, and uh, you know they didn't have a need at wide receiver, but this really does help them. Uh, they have now probably the best receiving core in the NFL. I, I don't think it's too much to say that because uh, Tyler Johnson's not even going to be helping that much right away, and I think he can. He's one of the better rookie wide receivers in this draft. Uh, I think once he is given an opportunity, people are going to see that he's really good. Uh, you know, considering those picks, uh, I I thought this was a solid draft. I'm going to give them a B just because the worst pick was one of the the worst pick was an A++++. So that alone made their draft kind of like a B- base because it was going to be really hard for them to screw that up. And then they added guys like Winfield Jr. and Tyler Johnson and D-tackle Khalil Davis. They took care of their biggest needs on the D-line and offensive tackle. And they did draft a running back. Not my favorite running back, but they did add one to their stable. So all in all, this is a pretty good draft, and I give them a, a, a B minus. I'm giving them. Okay, two more. Bear with me. I know it's late. Been at this for hours. Okay, the Tennessee Titans. Um, kind of a weird draft, but they lose Jack Conklin. Uh, they had pretty good depth at offensive line, but adding Isaiah Wilson at 29, pretty good pick. Uh, we we kind of thought Isaiah Wilson was going to go round one after there were a lot of rumblings that. There was no way he doesn't make it to day two. A lot of people thought it would be Seattle taking him because Seattle always needs to upgrade their offensive line. Uh, however, Tennessee, natural fit. Natural fit to make that move. In the second round, they added Christian Fulton, who a lot of people had in the first round. Really nice value there, especially since they, they just lost Logan Ryan. And Malcolm Butler is not the same, you know, and, and that they're going to be upgrading. So getting younger at the position, now they have Dory Jackson, Christian Fulton. They have a nice, younger, fresher core at cornerback. I think Tennessee is going to be competing again this year. Um, Darrington Evans, the running back out of Appalachian State, be really interesting to see how that works 
with uh, Derrick Henry. You know, they're going to have King Henry for maybe another year or two, but Evans seems like the perfect lightning guy to Derrick Henry's thunder. Uh, That's according to Daniel Jeremiah, who is an App State alum and uh, was raving about this kid. So, uh, Laryl Merchinson, I think, you know, in the fifth round, another nice, really good value for them. And he seems like the type of guy that Vrabel would like. like. So, um, you know, I think they had a, do- a solid draft. They didn't get much of from an edge rush. And I think if Merchinson's their only way to replace Jarrell Casey, you know, the, and outside of, you know, replacing Jack Conklin, they didn't do much. I would have liked to seen them uh, get, like, more of a replacement running back for Derrick Henry instead of a complimentary back because it doesn't seem like he's going to be there forever. But, you know, passing on Christian Fulton would have also been a bad idea. So, you know, he gives them a B-minus grade. They they hit it pretty big with three of their first four picks. And then Darrington Evans, if that works out for them, that's four straight picks that really work. So, um, all right, final draft grade. Washington Redskins. Um, first off, they had Chase Young. They get the best player in the draft. It wasn't a need for them. However, it, when you have a edge rusher, that's his talent. You don't pass on them because if it's not a need, it means it's taking your good group and making it elite. Um, the Redskins have a really nice front right now, and I think you know between you know Jonathan Allen and. Uh, uh, pain they have in the middle there. Now you had, you know you already had Kerrigan. You had a couple other Bama guys up front. It seems like they they have like a whole front of Alabama. Now you had Chase Young, who's the best of the bunch, going to be the best edge rusher in the division. And uh, you know when it comes to edge rushers coming out of the draft, he's right up there with Miles Garrett, the Bosa brothers, Jadavion Clowney, Khalil Mack. I mean, he's right in that top tier with those guys who came out. He's ahead of Bradley Chubb. He might even be ahead of Miles and the Bosas. Um, the only one that was a higher kind of like slam dunk pick was Jadavion Clowney. Uh, that is as a prospect. I'm not comparing their careers in the NFL. I'm just saying as prospects. Um, it, you, you just couldn't dra- you couldn't pass on him, especially since you got the quarterback last year. It, you know, it it made too much sense to take him. And say, okay, Haskins, you know, give him another year to learn. However, after that, I thought Washington was very weird in the draft. Um, they, uh, you know, Sadiq Charles, uh, you know, we don't really know if he's a guard or a tackle. I like his game, and I and I really like him as like a mid round pick. But I'll be inch- I'm very interested to see how they play him and where they play him at. Antonio Gibson, though, he's a tweener at right running back and wide receiver. So another guy that. I'm I'm not even sure how they're going to play him. Antonio Gandy Golden was uh, you know a, another one of those Division three guys, a wide receiver from Liberty who he's huge. He's got great hands, but he doesn't separate. And if that's going to be a problem in the NFL, that's a waste of a fourth round pick because wide receivers who can't separate they they never last. They never last, um, especially since he doesn't have the crisp route running. Uh, so. I know they added the best player in the draft, but I don't love what the Redskins did in the draft after that. They had to draft Chase Young. They did that. Good for them. Uh, Then they drafted a couple tweener picks and question marks. 
And then it was day three guys that we don't really know if Kalike Hudson, you know, if he's going to make the team out of Michigan or Keith Ishmael for, you know, the center from San Diego state again, how many centers do you keep on the roster? So all in all, I, I, I don't love the Washington draft. However, they got the best player in the draft, so it's hard to knock them too much. I gave them a C plus. I think uh, it was just a fine job, uh, you know, slightly above average, but that's strictly because he added the best player in the draft. So, anyway, that is all the time I have. This has been a two-hour and fifteen-minute draft recap. Uh, I am done for the night. Thank you all for listening. I will be back next week, and we'll be talking about movies and entertainment again, and we'll be done talking about football. But anyway, thank you for listening to the draft uh, recap. Go Browns.